everybody. Welcome to the Not Tuesday show. Uh, I am James Chen, and it is it is Tuesday, even though it's called the Not Tuesday show. How's everybody going out there? Uh, hope everybody's doing well. It's going to be a very busy month for me here in October. Just as a warning, uh, I will be doing a lot of traveling, so uh, it might be light on uh, content here. Uh, on this channel and on YouTube for a little bit while I'm traveling all over the place. I've got uh, First Attack coming up this weekend, and then uh, the weekend after that, I'll be traveling up to Portland for the Portland Retro Gaming Expo for Classic Tetris World Championships, finally back in person. And then uh, at the end of the month, I'll actually be traveling uh, on vacation so I'll actually be taking maybe one of the first vacations I've had in like uh, years uh, wasn't even my idea it was a friend's idea and so <laughs> we're just gonna <laughs> end up uh, hanging out for a little bit um, I am uh, so as a result like I said there's probably not gonna be much now one of the uh, uh, content for this month now one of the things I do want to warn the podcast listeners of this particular episode here, uh, I do intend on watching a lot of the Third Strike 5v5 footage here and uh, on the stream. And I'm going to try to push that towards the end of the show. So if it's something that you're listening to, I'll try to narrate and tell little anecdotes as the stories are, as the matches are going to try to keep it a little bit interesting. But obviously, if uh, you are listening to this on pod podcast, there is a potential that, you know, it's, it's going to be hard to listen to while we're just watching footage. <laughs> but uh, let's go uh, talk about stuff here in the FGC. We're going to start, of course, as I do uh, every week with just a little bit of fighting game news here. So uh, a couple of things have been going on here. I mean, I think the main thing uh, that to talk about here is that Team Sam Show is out on 4KOF 15. A lot of people have been messing with the characters. Uh, my initial thoughts after messing with them a little bit last night on stream was that um, uh, not as strong as I thought they would be. Like, I, I thought they were good. They, they felt like they were going to be busted, but... You know, uh, I guess uh, after messing with them for a little bit, I felt like, you know, they're going to be decently strong, but they're not going to be broken. Uh, I don't know if they're necessarily going to be weak. Uh, out of all of them right now, Darley may seem to be a little bit of the weakest. I think Haomaru seems very solid. Now, early reports from people are saying that Nako might actually be super good. I heard Shaohai was cooking everybody with Nako, like, from the get-go. And she definitely seems like she has a lot of strong things, but I also think that Nako in a vacuum uh, in training mode seems really strong, but I think that she's going to uh, taper down a little bit just because she just doesn't have quite the same range and Shaohai can cook you with any character. So I don't know if that's necessarily a good uh, measuring stick uh, for, um, to determine whether a character is good or not, uh, whether or not Shaohai can beat you up with it. <laughs> um, so we'll see how she ends up turning out. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the team is out right now and I, I can't wait to see how much, uh, people are going to, you know, use them to see how they shake up the meta or anything like that. Now, 
Uh, one thing I will say, though, that probably the biggest area of a little bit of disappointment, maybe even a lot of disappointment from a lot of players, is the fact that there were no changes to the characters. There were no balance changes, I should say, to the characters. There was a lot of bug fixes they fixed. Uh, they fixed Isla's super inputs, which is something that I complain about drastically because I kept getting supers when I didn't want them uh, because her inputs were, were bugged. Uh, when I posted that up, people told me that Maiten Kuhn had the same problem. And from all the characters I tested, it was only Isla and Maiten Kuhn who had these problems. So one of the interesting things about these, this patch that came out, they fixed Isla's inputs, they left Maiten Kuhn's alone. <laughs> Hang on a second, let me also do this really quick. That should probably improve the audio quality for you guys a little bit here, so sorry about that. Probably a lot of background noise, a little bit fixed up now here. But yeah, um, basically, uh, they didn't do any balance changes, though. And I know a lot of people are really having a rough time with this. I mean, when I was testing some of the characters out, I had people coming in to my chat telling me that they are really dissatisfied with the current meta of the game, how it's so Kula Cronin heavy, and uh, that like they feel like that those characters have got to be nerfed. Now, this is obviously the last DLC of 2022 for King of Fighters 15. So in other words, we don't have any scheduled updates coming out anytime soon for the game. So are we going to get a balance patch at some point in time? Are they? Do they want to release the three characters and see how they shake up the meta a little bit? But, I mean, I, I don't know if they are going to be able to... Like, those three characters are not going to stop Kula, Cronin, and Yashiro slash Bijanae from being, like, the top characters. I mean, pretty much every team these days has a Cronin, and, like... Literally, if you're not playing Cronin as your anchor, you're wrong, right? Like, <laughs> it's just, uh, you're doing it because you don't find him interesting, you don't like the character, or you just don't gel with him. But, like, without question, like, Cronin is, like, the best character in the game. Like, just the best character in the game right now. Kula, probably the best point character in the game as well. Now, Super Moose asks about the matchmaking. There's no news on the matchmaking, but on an interview that was translated recently, they did say that they're working on the matchmaking. However, the biggest issue is that they aren't able to replicate the same problems that people are seeing in the real world environment, in their in their isolated testing environment, everything is working fine. And and you know, as a QA person, that I just know, I know exactly how that is. Like demoing stuff, every time we tested it, it works great. But then as soon as we try to put it in live into the real world, it all explodes and falls apart. We're like, what? So uh, and again, you know, SNK's team probably very small. Honestly, they really should look into trying to hire outside sources, maybe even contracting people. Zynak is available, guys. 
I'm sure he'd love to be able to be contracted uh, to, to, to help. But yes, Gundam Jehudikai says the right thing. If you can't replicate it, you can't troubleshoot it. And that's one of the hardest things about testing, right? And when you're testing in a, in a, in a real world environment, you're not using dev kits. You can't debug. You can't do all these things. So it's really hard to step through and find out what the problems are. And uh, that's, the, that's the issue. So Converse, you're talking about Vanessa and Terry. There was a patch already that completely shifted that. Vanessa had been nerfed to the point where a lot of people don't even think Vanessa's good at all anymore. Terry was left the same, but Terry was always kind of like, yeah, he's good, but I feel like some other characters are better. But then they buffed Cronin a bunch, and yeah, without question, Cronin is the best character. So this is already the second meta that we've had. The first meta was indeed VRT, Vanessa, Ramon, Terry. A lot of people even changed it to VRG after a while, which was Vanessa, not Ramon, uh, Ralph, Vanessa, Ralph, Terry, and now Vanessa, Ralph, and Gato really became kind of the meta. Then a big patch dropped. They changed a lot of things, and then it became Kula, Yashiro, and Cronin, and they are the ones that are just completely, completely uh, uh, top tier right now. And Jene, Yashiro and Jene kind of... Uh, uh, flip-flop between which ones you which one is stronger most people generally think Yashiro is probably a little stronger than Bijane but Bijane still very very strong now Super Moose asks can they not just run the game from the office in somebody else's house sure they can but the problem is they can't get any information out of that, right? So if they run that here, they have no diagnostics. They would have to make sure that the person's house has the debug build, all this other stuff. And then not only that, but, you know, you can do it and then it might work great, right? It just might work fine because uh, that's just the way it works. Like the amount of people testing this and running into this issue uh, is probably not an edge case because it's happening to pretty much everybody. But again, like just the ability to be able to catch this in the wild that straightforwardly is not necessarily that easy. But, you know, having it be on PC might be something they can do. But, you know, I got to imagine they've tried and uh, they just are having trouble replicating the issue. Not sure what's happening there, and it is kind of a frustrating situation. But, you know, uh, we will, I mean, hopefully we'll get an update soon. And, when we, I mean, remember, they're working on cross-play as well, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and if we, or do they have cross-play? No, I think they're working on cross-play. That was one of the announcements? I think so. Crossplay was one of the announcements. Dude, there's so many games with so many announcements of crossplay and getting rollback and all this stuff. It's so hard for me to keep track of all the games these days. But, you know, hopefully we'll get an update soon. And with that, hopefully a balance patch to be able to nerf Cronin and uh, nerf Kula a little bit. And perhaps Yashiro and Bijane a little bit. I know a lot of people are also frustrated with Chizuru. Uh, a lot of these characters, the reason why they're so good is it's easy for them to fish into ginormous damage. Like, that, that's one of the, 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 the haves and have-nots of KOF 15, is the ability to fish into really, really big damage. And a lot of these characters, Yashiro, Cronin, 
uh, Kula, Chizuru, and uh, and Bijanae kind of have that power to be able just to try something. Hey, it worked. Okay, now I get to drain all of your life. <laughs> and if it didn't, I'm safe on block. It's all good. So it's a tricky situation right now. But hopefully we do see a balance with that as well. And then uh, on the other side of things, a patch did drop. For Tekken 7, so Tekken 7's newest season patch came out, uh, and I'm guessing there was a lot of issues with it, bugs, or maybe some balance issues, uh, they added some new mechanics and such, and uh, a lot of people were upset because, like, uh, everybody hates Akuma in Tekken 7, and that patch, like, did nothing to Akuma, like, they didn't actually change him at all, and so he's still obviously super strong. Uh, a lot of people are were very frustrated with that. Now, they came out with a new patch uh, that dropped on the same day, uh, well, technically last night, today, that dropped today, um, that tried to do some nerfs to Akuma, but to do that, they nerfed a system mechanic to nerf Akuma, and as a result, uh, apparently nerfed like a lot of characters with it, it has to do with uh, tech traps uh, on the wall, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I've seen tweets, Henry, about people saying that it killed Xiaoyu. Uh, and then I've also heard that Akuma can still tech trap you anyway. Although some people have said if you roll right off the wall that you can block it. Other people saying that that doesn't always work, that it's real inconsistent. Uh, oh yeah, and they nerfed jump over tech at the wall, says Bliss. Yeah, so you can no longer jump over and get someone's back in Tekken. That was definitely a strategy. When you slammed them against the wall, you would jump over them and have a back turn mix up. Um, and Big Marcus asks about, you know, KOF. Even with a new patch, won't the next three best characters be complained about? It's a never-ending cycle. It is... And there's a lot of validity to that. However, we know where the state of a lot of the other characters are. And clearly, like, Cronin is... Cronin and Cooler are just at this point where it's very obvious that they are that much stronger than a lot of the other characters. Again, Kula's not broken. She's just super good as a point character. Like, without question, she's just the best point character in the game because she builds a ton of meter, and uh, for spending very little meter, she can get all sorts of damage and wall carry and chip away at your life. She's, like, really good at point. And if we nerf those two characters just a little bit, maybe some of the other characters, uh, you know, definitely there are other characters who might actually uh, start to dominate. But again, those characters, like, they're not being held back by Cronin. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. So we kind of know where those characters stand so that, you know, if we do nerf the strong characters, like Stickman says, it gets easier uh, the more balanced the game becomes, basically. So, and yeah, Romano, uh, that might be a good point. These new patches for Tekken might be stuff that they're trying out for Tekken 8. Uh, yeah, so FGC Blue says he knows that Kyo is top tier. But again, Kyo isn't even really, like, busted, right? Like, if you took ran a tournament and took out Cronin, Kula, Yashiro, Bijanae, and Chizuru... 
like I don't think Kyo would be dominating. You know, I feel like everybody would be able to use different characters and still be able to be effective. You start getting into this territory where, sure, maybe one of the characters is kind of better than everyone else, but not so much to the point that everybody basically plays Cronin. Like I said, you watch any top eight, Cronin is going to be the anchor of like six out of the eight teams, right? As I mentioned, if you are not playing Cronin as anchor, you're wrong. <laughs> it's just, you're wrong. <laughs> and that's it. And, and that's just the, 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 the long and short of it, honestly. Like, there's, there's just no other character that does better than Cronin at anchor position. And, and that's kind of the problem. And so, you know... Uh, how do I feel about balancing based off of tournament results? It's an interesting question, Big for Lil. Uh, I mean, I think it's a good way to do it, uh, especially because tournaments are where the balance is going to matter, I feel like, the most. Because at casual levels of, like, let's just use Street Fighter lingo, bronze, gold, silver, platinum, like, the, the, the tiers aren't going to matter as much because the players aren't as strong. We're in an esports environment right now that, yeah, and Stickman says it helps the competitive scene too. You don't want seven Leroy's in top eight. So, you know, if we're watching tournaments for KOF, you look at KOF right now on, 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 on Twitch, like before the characters actually dropped, the new characters actually dropped, I wouldn't find more than maybe 30, 40 people watching KOF streams. Uh, at any given moment, and a large reason for that is, one, the matchmaking, so nobody can play, but also tournaments, you know, it's just, they're so Cronin-filled, right? So I really feel like that, yeah, uh, balancing off of tournament results is decently important, but you can't, it, it has to see the patterns, you have to see the trends, right? If one person does super well with Zangief, like let's just say Itazan is killing everybody with Zangief, which he isn't even doing right now, but let's say he's the only one, obviously you can't balance uh, results based off of that, but the fact that we're seeing Cronin everywhere is absolutely, uh, no, Seijakun, Cronin was not good when the game came out. Uh, he couldn't cancel a lot of things. Uh, his slide wasn't as strong. They eventually made it so that he could cancel his slide into special moves. They buffed uh, like the way his supers worked. They made his EXDP slide forward a little bit so combos were more consistent, etc., etc. So uh, for sure, uh, he's really, really, uh, he got buffed a lot. He got buffed a lot. Uh, and so we're just in this position, unfortunately, where, uh, yeah, Cronin is too strong. And so balancing on tournament results, I think, is kind of important because, again, you want the variety for the viewers, right? That's important. Two, you want to make sure the players get to express themselves a little bit more. And three, having the balance that way is important as well because, again, in an esports environment, like I would say it wasn't that important long time ago, but nowadays the environment's different. We're in an esports environment. You want these games to last through esports. The reason why Street Fighter V lasted as long as it did was because of esports. If there was no esports, Street Fighter V probably would have been a two to three year game. Like, it would not have gone six years like it did. Like, three years is almost kind of a stretch at this point. 
And so, you know, the esports stuff is very important. And so if you don't balance the game and you don't make it so that it's not so one-sided for certain characters and we don't get the expression, the ability for players to kind of show off their stuff, it does hurt the game a lot from a viewing standpoint and it will hurt the game from a longevity standpoint as well. So for sure, for sure. Um, So again... You know, the Tekken 7 patch came out. Uh, some people don't seem to be particularly happy with it because they changed a lot. They ch- and again, Tekken is one of those games that's based off of a lot of tricks, like things that you hope to catch opponents off guard with that they haven't seen before. And so the more often that you take away a lot of these things, the more frustrating it becomes. And so being unable to hop over people at the wall, etc., etc. there's definitely a lot of... Uh, uh, frustrations, right, to Hollow. I mean, without the esports focus, Street Fighter V may not have even lasted beyond two years. Maybe after year one, it would have been in a real... Because obviously the launch for Street Fighter V was really poor. That's why I said three years is almost even kind of a stretch, right? And so, you know, what that, it's, it's a tough situation. Balancing patches are a tough situation. Like... The Tekken patch right here, I see a lot of people complaining about it. I've read through threads, and a lot of people do not like the state of Tekken 7 right now uh, compared to how it was uh, in previous years. But at the same time, like while patches can be dangerous in that aspect, patches... We're in a, I mean, this could be a talk in and all of itself about how we perceive patches these days, but, you know, uh, look, KOF is not even barely a year old, and, like, people already want the patch to fix this thing here, and it's, I think it's justified, right? Like, as a person who wants to play more KOF, who watches it, like, it is frustrating to see a lot of Cronin. And, yeah, the fighting game community can definitely get very whiny, but, again, I don't want to say that that's a fighting game community problem. Like, that's just a a general problem, right? That That's just something we see. The internet is whiny. <laughs> the internet is whiny. <laughs> so that's kind of where I, that's where my stance is on that. Uh, any other kind of news? I know the uh, Street Fighter V beta is... This weekend, I will not be playing it, as I said, as I'm traveling to uh, Puerto Rico for first attack. So I'm not actually going to be able to uh, play it. But hopefully all of you guys will be able to enjoy it and have a good time uh, with that. Um, Also, later at the end of this month, I believe the Guilty Gear Strive cross-platform beta is coming up. And if I'm not mistaken... That weekend, the game will be free on Steam and on PlayStation. Not to own, but free to play for just that weekend. So if you're on the fence about Exert, you can actually download the game, play the free beta, and uh, see how you enjoy the game for a little bit uh, before it actually goes back to uh, being uh, uh, only playable on sale, basically. But... Uh, you have that opportunity here. So, uh, why, why do, did I say Street Fighter Five? Did I say, I thought I said Street Fighter Six. <laughs> yeah, it's a different client download, so it's not the same game. So they have the ability to just shut it down, basically. But still, you get to try to play it for free if you want to. So, um, 
uh, just feels like no one labs anymore. It feels like one person says something and that's the storm coming next. Yeah, and again, that's a little bit of the fault of Twitter. Like, Twitter just has that problem uh, that, you know, if one person says something that you agree with, it's so easy to try to use them as an authority, right? Like, as soon as you see someone agree with you, it's easy to be like, see, I'm not the only one that feels that way. Everyone feels that way. And it's like, you and somebody else, but again, that's kind of more of the internet problem than anything. Uh, but yeah, and then they preach it as gospel. I mean, that's what, and again, apologies about this. I mean, that's the whole power of Fox News, right? Is that they have the ability to create the reasons, and you see that happen a lot of the time, is that a lot of people parrot the stuff that comes from Fox News as gospel, and again, all media is like this for sure, but, you know, just using Fox News as an example, because it is one of the most powerful sources of that, uh, is one of the biggest powerful sources of that kind of thing. You can see the kind of influence and the, and the kind of uh, dominant power that media can have in those situations. I mean, again, we're talking about social media influencers versus like the, a giant network television thing right and so you can see how powerful that can actually become uh it happens on both sides too like there's a lot yeah i mean it does happen on both sides like every once in a while someone on you know the left will say something and then that gets parroted as well but you know it's just an example of how much it can actually affect a lot of things right so um Again, it's 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 kind of frustrating. It's 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 frustrating that social media is like this. And um, I wish that people would kind of take the time to really kind of formulate their own thoughts and opinions about it. I mean, that's what I've been doing here on my stream on all of these things is really just stop buying into this, but let's talk about it from a very analytical standpoint, right? With the hitbox ban, you know, I talked about that very detailed. Is Tekken too hard? Talked about that in a very detailed point of view, trying to present both sides, etc., etc. That's kind of what I'm trying to do over here. And so uh, we're going to, uh, you know, I hope I can continue to try to do that, present things from a very you know, even standpoint. So again, while the Tekken 7 beta might not necessarily be, uh, I'm sorry, the Tekken 7 patch isn't something that a lot of people like. At the same time, patches, while they can be dangerous, can also very much save games because right now, KOF 15, I think, is in a very, very bad situation uh, that I think a lot of people are... Uh, just kind of chomping at the bit, bit for a patch right now. And uh, let's let's go ahead and leave the, the 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 political talk alone in the chat over here. I didn't mean to start that. I just wanted to use that as an example because it is probably one of the uh, best examples of it of that kind of situation right now of how much you know hearing somebody say something that you agree with and then all of a sudden you have someone backing you uh, in that kind of situation. But uh, interesting. So nerfs are good. T5 to T5 DR was full of nerfs 
and T5DR was the best competitive Tekken ever, huh? Interesting. I don't know Tekken well enough for to to be able to comment on that to 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 know if a lot of people believe that Tekken Five, uh, what was it? Dominated, dominant. I can't even remember what it was. DR. <laughs> if that was actually the best, uh, if that was actually um, one of the most historically beloved and balanced uh, fighting is Dark Resurrection. There it is. Okay. <laughs> I was a dominated mind. What is dominated mind? What is dominated mind? What what game is that? Is that one of the KOFs or something? KOF DM or something? Uh, I can't remember. But in any case, a uh, lot of stuff happening. Uh, a lot of betas coming up. Oh, it was Fatal Fury dominated mind. You're right. You're right. Okay. <laughs> uh, <coughs> oh yeah yeah the cross up was I'm pretty sure was banned for some of the Capcom events I'm pretty sure but in any case let's move on from the news here and let's actually talk about the topic at hand here a lot of people really you know enjoy a lot of the history lessons and, and they like hearing about you know FGC history and uh, I'm in one of the unique positions that I was there and I can talk about a lot of this stuff. You know, I was there and I still stream and all this stuff. And so, like, I have the ability to talk about a lot of stuff because I was there. I've experienced it and such. Now, obviously, with the caveat here that, you know, I am an old man. My memory can be spotty at times. I feel like my memory is actually pretty good for long-term stuff. So uh, I feel like I remember things pretty decently. But again, you know, this is what I remember, my point of view and stuff like that. So, you know, uh, if anybody out there who's watching this on YouTube or even in the chat has something that you can correct me on, I am definitely uh, down for, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, some feedback and for people adding some information. All right, let's talk about this here. Let's talk about uh, Third Strike. So the reason why this came up is, one, obviously, a lot of people really enjoy history streams. And one of the hardest things for me to do is just kind of be like, what aspect of history should I talk about? And it's really hard for me to figure out which ones to go to at times. Uh, the conversation about Third Strike came up uh, a couple of times on YouTube and just with talkings with other people. And the topic of EVO 2002 kind of came up and how Third Strike was perceived at the time. And a lot of people have this kind of uh, idea. You know, Third Strike obviously right now is one of the greatest fighting games of all time. You know, just kind of like generally believed by most people to be one of the greatest fighting games of all time. Like in terms of classic fighting games, like it, like you probably, it's probably this game and MVC2, which might have the most feverish and fervent uh, old school fan base, you know, that just absolutely believes that Third Strike is, you know, almost an infallible fighting game. And, you know, it's really interesting because a lot of the people who are getting into the FGC nowadays, you know, perceive the idea that Third Strike has always been this kind of amazing game that people loved it. And it was one of just the most, 
you know, played fighting games of all time. And <laughs> uh, I've talked about this on stream before. And again, this is not me trying to downplay what Third Strike is in our history. But again, it's important to understand where it was in our history. Uh, and, you know, EVO 2002 is one of the most uh, key turning points of Third Strike uh, and I feel like that this is uh, kind of an important thing to talk about because a lot of things happened at EVO 2002 that really changed the history of fighting games in general. I mean, honestly, like uh, once I get to one of the stories that I want to tell, um, you know, we'll you'll see just how much EVO 2002 really changed the landscape of everything. So to establish what this is, uh, how this is happening, happening. <laughs> do I enjoy talking crap about Third Strike? No, I don't. I have definitely done so in the past because, uh, I, there are people who would always come up to me and be like, Third Strike is the perfect game. Third Strike is the perfect game. I don't believe anything is the perfect game. And so his propping of Third Strike made me want to talk smack about the game a lot more. And this is what happens when people yell about games in chats as well. Uh, people who didn't hate certain games will hate games because you're talking crap about their game, etc., etc. And it's, it's just a natural human reaction and it sucks. Uh, I actually have a lot of admiration for Third Strike. It was never my game. I've never been a fan of parries in general. I don't like parries. Uh, but, um, you know, I can't deny where Third Strike is in the pantheon of history and how great it is. And I was in the unfortunate position that Third Strike came out as I graduated from college. And so, basically, I got a job and... For at least that first year that I got my job, my fighting game play diminished incredibly, incredibly. And so I missed a lot of the Third Strike train. And not only that, too, but as we'll get into this, nobody played Third Strike. Dude, nobody played Third Strike. So before we get into that, let me establish the situation here. Let's set the backstory here, okay? Uh, 2002 Evo, first evolution. Okay, this is the first evolution tournament ever. First evolution tournament ever. And uh, previous to this was B5 in 2001 and B4 in 2000. These were, it was B4, which was the continued joke of B3, and now we're at B4. B3 was Battle by the Bay, uh, which was the, AGS, uh, the AGSF2 newsletter gathering with 60 whole people playing Alpha 2. My God, you know, kind of thing like that. And so uh, there was a B4 that was held in Folsom at a tiny arcade. Then there was a B5 that was held in um, the same arcade in Folsom. And that's where, you know, all the stuff that happened. That's where Justin first showed his dominance in MVC2. That's, you know, B4, B5 is also what led to the, the, the U.S. versus Japan. U.S. flying over to Japan and playing against all the players over there. That all took place during Bang the Machine. Uh, and so... 
2002 rolled around. It was the first year that it was going to be called Evolution. And Tom and Tony Cannon, who are running the event, and very much, you know, right now they're kind of like consultants, but at in 2002, this was their event. They were the guys running the event. As I had mentioned in previous streams, I had become very good friends with them and, and you know, kind of been pseudo staff basically like i was like one of the most loyal helpers of evo staff at that point in time and one of the things that i did was i was going to ucla that year and ucla had this gigantic ballroom on the floor above the ucla arcade and i talked to ucla and i was like hey what if we ran the tournament here and tom and tony I talked to them and like maybe we could get this cool ballroom over here and have a big space. Now, <laughs> the funniest thing about it was it actually all worked out. Like Tom and Tony talked with UCLA, we all worked it out and we ended up using that ballroom. Now, there was obviously a lot of regretful downsides to this. There's one particular aspect of this story that I'm not going to tell because this is one of those stories that Tom and Tony, uh, that's their story to tell. So I'm not going to talk about one of the uh, things that did happen at this event. But a lot of the bad parts about it were uh, UCLA is not located in an area where there is a lot of hotels and motels within walking distance. It was very difficult for a lot of people to attend the event and actually get to the event. Uh, also, UCLA is a school. The building closed at a certain time. Yes, MVC2 had to close out in one game matches because we were running overtime at tournament standard time. And so, yeah, literally the end of MVC2 was one game tournaments. And it was uh, pretty crazy. Uh, yeah, the venue was great. The venue was great. But there was a lot of downsides to it. Uh, another one of the downsides, too, is that actually, weirdly enough, the venue was too big. It was actually too big. And so uh, let me pull this up here. Let me see if I can actually uh, show you guys this here. So again, uh, there's this really, really, uh, like... Uh, this guy who really tried his best to document a lot of old fighting game stuff back in the day because he had this feeling that the fighting game community might grow a little bit bigger than it was at the time. And so he was like, you know what, we really need to maintain the history of this. And so crazy enough, this guy bought a digital camera and started taking pictures at EVO 2002 to start the documentation process. Uh, you can find these at flickr.com slash jchenzor. Uh, so there's this Jay Chenzor guy. I think it's JC Henzor or Jay Chenzor or something like that. But his whole goal was to document uh, fighting game history. I mean, at this point in time, you look back at it and you're like, what a genius that guy is. What a smarty pants to try to do this kind of documentation thing because literally this is like the only uh, historical records we have of a lot of these events. You know, it's crazy. And so, you know, uh, it's, it's actually really nice that we have access to all these photos and stuff. Now, keep in mind, though, the one thing that I will critique about this J.C. Hensor guy is that he's a shite photographer, okay? He takes really awful pictures, 
really, really bad pictures. And so the quality of the pictures, also digital cameras back then were really, really poor. I think this camera was a whole three point something megapixels. And at that time it was like, whoa, three megapixels. And so we're gonna take a look at some of these photos here. Might as well. This was the ballroom as we were setting up. Now in this day and age, this ballroom would have been a great size, but you can see these are the 33 inch cabinets. These are 33 inch cabinets and this is what we were playing the events on. Remember, this was still arcade time frame. This was not console yet. We had not switched to console. Everything was on cabinets. But the 33 inches, these cabinets are legendary. If you're a fighting game player, this is what you wanted to play on. Because regular cabinets were too close, you would elbow each other, etc., etc., and beat each other up. <laughs> yeah, this was also the tournament with the infamous uh, situation where you were put into a colored bracket, like the black bracket and whatever, and Super Turbo had the infamous black bracket of death which had like me, uh, Chris Lee, Tom Cannon, Alex Vai, Mike Watson, like everybody was in that bracket because it was random generated. And uh, Tom and Tony tried to do something interesting where they posted all of the upcoming matches on this projector so that you could actually see your matches coming up. But again, this ballroom was too big <laughs> for the event here. As you can clearly see as we're setting up the main stage over here, and once we, oh my God, Bucktooth, Tragic, and Combo Fiend. Bucktooth, Tragic, and Combo Fiend in the house over here. Uh, check them out here. This is what, I mean, Combo Fiend couldn't have been like 18 or 19 years old at this point in time, dude. He was super young at this point. Uh, but here's a bunch of people playing over here. Here's a bunch of the Japanese players. This is one of the first time Japanese players really came out in pseudo en masse. That's Kuni over here on the side over here. Uh, this is Wakamatsu. This is Matsun who actually runs the co-op cup right now. Um, so, uh, and yeah, look at this. Like, we were setting up this ballroom over here uh, and seriously, like, once I get into the crowd photos over here, let me see if, so this was all still set up. This is people trickling in. <laughs> Look how few people there are here. Uh, God, who is that? That's, uh, oh, that's one of my, so remember when I told the story about my married couple friends who beat the crap out of me in Puzzle Fighter, if you watch the CFC stuff, that's her, that's, uh, that's one of them right there. She's, she's, she's one of the players that would just basically destroy myself, uh, destroy me in Puzzle Fighter. She was amazing at Puzzle Fighter. But yeah, here we go, like registration lines. Look at this immense registration line is starting up over here. And again, bad cameras, bad lighting, and uh, means that basically these uh, pictures all come out really blurry and stuff. Here's the registration table, a young Seth Killian over here, and there's Tom and Tony Cannon sitting there. You can barely see them, it's super blurry. But yeah, look, look at the, we had the ropes to keep the crowds behind the machines. The ropes to keep the crowds behind the machines, baby. And uh, yeah, this was, uh, no, this is not Evo 37, moment 37. This is not the year for that. That was 2004. 
The arcade stools, yep. God, it's just, I, there's nothing better than playing on a cabinet, man. I'm telling you right now. I know it sounds like an old man thing, but there is nothing better than playing on a cabinet, especially one of these 33-inchers, man. Like, you, you, there's just nothing can compare to it. Uh, and, and like I said, it definitely sounds like old man bias, but I will tell you this. If you actually get to sit down at a 33-inch and play on a 33-inch, like the uh the way it feels is just it's just it's so good it's just so good uh young alex Valle sitting over here blurry as hell funny crt somebody sleeping on a table <laughs> i don't know what's going ah yes look crowds crowds <laughs> Uh, that was uh, 2003 or 2004, uh, Song Hung. And those pictures were definitely, if he was showing pictures, yeah, that was me taking the picture. We had the intros for top eight, and that's where he did the Mario intro because he looked just like Mario <laughs> at the time. <laughs> but look at the crowds, man. This crowd is ginormous. But yeah, we're broadcasting Third Strike on the big screen. Again, shout outs to Shin JN, who was one of the premier guys for turning the uh, video feeds of the cabinets and being able to present them like that. We had like, uh, oh my God, this picture is sideways. This is a picture of me and it is sideways. Why is this picture sideways? Am I able to rotate it? Uh, there we go. Rotate photo. Boom, there we go. And so you can actually see here the schedule. Uh, Friday, CVS2, uh, Saturday. I'll get into that a little bit more here. Oh, God, you know what? I'm going to rotate these photos later. But again, this is what we were doing. So this was ginormous venue. And it was the first time that we really ended up in a situation where, like, we were finally seeing shades of how tournaments were going to be. This is young me. And again, this is me after I graduated from college, okay? So I've always looked incredibly young. This is me graduated from college at this point. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, this is, um, shoot, Liquid Metal. This is Liquid Metal, uh, the best MVC2 player in, uh, uh, the best MVC2 player in Japan at the time. So, uh, I graduated in 1999 from college. Technically, it was four years and a quarter. So, four years I was supposed to graduate in 98. So, I graduated at the end of 98. And then, uh, 99, I was still working at the UCLA Arcade as I was trying to uh, get a job basically, even after I graduated. These were the trophies and the belts that we had. So for the three games, Super Turbo Third Strike and MVC, I'm sorry, Super Turbo CVS2 and uh, MVC2, these were the prizes. 
Uh, I was a competitive player back then. Uh, here were some of the badges. You had all the different art on them. So the black bracket had all the characters dressed in black. The red bracket had characters dressed in red. I believe these are my badges over here. So I was going to be number 37, etc., etc. Here's all of them over here. Like Psylocke's in the blue bracket. Cyclops is in the blue bracket. So they tried to like theme the pictures along with the colors. Colors, which was really kind of funny, uh, which was really neat that they tried to do. And here's everybody running stuff over here. Uh, again, uh, more crowd shots, etc., etc. I'm just trying to see if there's any more like uh, photos over here that I want to showcase. Unless you just want me to go through all of them, I can just keep going through all of them because uh, this is fun. Again, I apologize to everybody listening to this on the podcast. You really should come find the YouTube link in the podcast, in the SoundCloud notes, or just go to youtube.com slash TV and check out all these photos over here. Um, but yeah, these were, was that Henry Sen? I think that's Henry Sen over here. That's uh, Henry Sen. Um, uh, let's see here. More pictures, more pictures. <laughs> Justin Wong. Justin Wong and Combo Fiend, baby. Look how young they... I mean, Justin is like 16, 15 at this point, right? I mean, he's a little kid at this point. Um, uh, Derek Daniels. This is my friend who ended up working on God of War. I talk about him a lot. He's definitely uh, told me a lot of things. Uh, and just one of the smartest guys in terms of fighting games. Yeah, Omni. Here's a Javi, a super blurry Javi. And I think that's Jumpsuit Jesse. So two of the Texas player. Javi is the current TO of a Texas showdown. Uh, again, that's a whole story all in and of itself. This is Jason Nelson and Jason Cole. Remember when, when we were talking about who the true OGs in the fighting game scene are? These are two of the true OGs. Like, these guys were playing since the original Street Fighter 2. Jason Cole, J uh, Jason Nelson, uh, Alex Wolf, and Graham Wolf. Those four were like four of the original ones. Uh, this is Danny Leong, uh, who was part of the Vegas scene at one point in time. Here's Boss. Uh, currently, I mean, people know who Boss is, right? Boss is one of the best players of CBS2 and Alpha 3 currently, even still today. But yes, Boss has been playing forever. Again, more blurry photos. That's Vi over here, uh, APOC. Uh, I think that's Watson over there. And here's some of the Japanese players setting up the Japanese cabinet. So again, we were from the arcade era where we were using concave buttons and perfect 360s we, and on octo gates and stuff like that. So we had to set up machines on the stage so that we could switch which machines were head to head so that Japanese players could use the Japanese controllers and American players could use the American controllers and stuff. So this was such a, a, a big deal over here to, to be able to have something set up. We all weren't accustomed to the current sticks that we have today. Uh, I think that's John Choi. I can't tell. God, this J.C. Hensor guy can't take a clear photo to save his life. This is Chiku. 
Chiku Sadam, who uh, is one of the best players at the time, and he is like one of the best uh, Sadam players in Alpha 3. And he was already old at this time. I think he was like 39, 38 or 39. And we were like, whoa, I can't believe people are still playing fighting games at like 38 or 39. That's insane. I don't think I could play fighting games for that long. But sure enough, there he is. And he's playing fighting games. And dude, he's got to be like almost 60 at this point in time, right? If he was like 38, 39 at this point in time. I'm sure he will still play if he if he wants to. Um, this is the guy in the middle here. Oh God, I, it's either Ro no, it's not Ro Ro Ronald Roland Rand. That's no, not Randy, but it's one of the Liu brothers. It's one of the Liu brothers here. And if you guys know about Randy Liu, who was one of the who's a super famous poker player right now. Uh, what's his name? It begins with an N. Um, what's his handle in the poker scene? I forgot what it what it is. Somebody in the chat might actually know what it is. Uh, I could probably look it up really quick. Uh, Randy Liu here. Uh, what is his? Oh yeah, there it was. There it was. He goes by the name of Nano Noko. There you go. Thank you. He is Nano Nano Noko. Uh, this is his brother. <laughs> if you guys don't know, Randy Liu used to be one of the best MVC2 players from Seattle and was in fact one of the players who was one of the targets for trying to take out Justin in MVC2. He was one of the people a lot of people talked about as being one of the best MVC2 players with the potential to defeat Justin from the Pacific Northwest area. And so here's more people here, da, 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 da. setting up, <laughs> messed up photo, messed up photo, <laughs> got uh, corrupted, I guess. But yeah, these, and here's some more pictures of the championship belts with the flash actually looks a little clearer. Here's the, so that previous one was the super turbo one. Here is the CVS2 one. Here's the MVC2 one. A bunch of people also, like, top eight got these cool uh, karate belts as well. So first place got the boxing belt, and then two through seven got the uh, karate belts over here. Uh, that was the prizes over here. More pictures of the belts. Tried to get close-ups, failed with the with the clarity again it was hard taking pictures back in the days with these cheapy uh at the time super cutting edge expensive digital cameras uh you'll see who won in a little bit but here's people signing up these are the x arcade sticks these are some of the first arcade sticks that you could buy for home with my uh, alongside my sticks uh no hit they weren't very good uh here's some people playing virtua fighter there's the X Arcade sticks over here. Some people testing out the X Arcade. There's actually an X Arcade stick that just replicated an, a cabinet that had both of the joysticks on there. As you can see over here. More credit. This is shirts over here. Uh, old school Super Turbo MK2 player. 
Here's Joey, here's John Choi, and here's Shirts and Justin again. So here's a young John Choi. Again, congratulations to John Choi. He just had his first kid. So there you go. <laughs> John Choi, uh, the youngin' over there. Shirts, yes, Shirts. Uh, that was his nickname given to him by Derek Omni because Shirts had one of the biggest tempers in the FGC, and whenever he lost, he would rend his shirt. He would actually rip his shirt in half because he would get so angry about losing. And uh, so Derek started calling him shirts and then that was the end of it then basically at that point in time. Yes, this is Madge uh, who did, who's, has a long history in the FGC. I could do a whole episode on Madge just by himself. Uh, there's Mike Watson in the dark. You can't see him over here. Here's Mike Watson again with Justin and Shirts talking. Hard to see him. Bad pictures. And okay, so this is where we first started seeing some matches. You see George going up against Chiku in CBS2. And as you can see, there's an American cabinet over here. So this was the head-to-head -head setup over here for one player. If two Americans played, they played on the 30. Uh, the 33-incher over here, if two Japanese played, they played head-to-head -head on the candy cabs. But here in this situation, for America versus Japan, we had one player on the cabinet, the American cabinet, going up against the player. So we switched the head-to-head -to, -head to switch it over here. This is the stuff that we had to go through, man. This is the stuff that we had to go through. And so this is me now taking pictures of everything. Every Onuki is what it used to be called. Onuki. Now he's just Nuki going against Liquid Metal here in CVS2. Liquid Metal versus Sage. Uh, here's, I think, the top eight for CVS2, if I'm not mistaken. John Choi, Nuki, Boss, Apoc, Valle, Danny Leong, uh, a couple of the other guys back there. Uh... So just pictures of them all day over here. Uh, this is George. So George, we'll see a lot more of him. He was one of the best third strike players uh, that we had. He was part of the family fun scene, and he was a very quiet person. Like I said, I'll get into this a little bit more, so I'll just say that much about him. We'll get into his skill level uh, later on. Here's Bucktooth, Campbell Tran. Uh, this is Rob Ingram. This is I've always referred to Rob Ingram as one of uh, Valle's hangers-on. But honestly, Rob Ingram is a super, super old-school player and uh, has gone through a lot of health problems in the past few years. If you've actually seen in the past few years, Mike Watson set up a GoFundMe for a Kalishan. Uh, that's who this is, is Rob Ingram. And he uh, is one of the old, old, old school players. He was like one of my rivals in the Alpha 3 days when we played at Southern Hills Golfland. He's had some major health issues. Uh, he's doing okay right now. Uh, so, you know, you know, thankfully, he's doing all right. But again, you know, shout outs to the FGC for helping out a lot. Uh, this is J.R. Rodriguez, uh, Pikachu. Pikachu-Akuma? What is Pikachu-Akuma? Pikachu? I can't remember. Shoot, Pikachu. He's the guy who plays Third Strike, loves Akuma. Uh, Pikachu-Akuma. Okay, it's just Pikachu-Akuma. There was no combining. He still plays on Fightcade, but that's him over here. 
uh, ready to play. This is Paul Lee, another super old school player uh, as well. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, this is Daryl Austin here. I think that's him. Uh, Chris Lee. Chris Lee was here in 2000. This was the first year I ever met Chris Lee and Mike Creaky uh, from the D.C., Virginia area. J.R. Rodriguez, yes. Uh, here's shirts again. Bunch of people. Here's Tong Ho, who is, uh, was one of the best MVC2 players from San Diego. Young Seth Killian. Here's Ed Ma. This is, uh, uh, shoot, uh, Spider Dan over here. There's Derek again. But this is Ed Ma, who got third place at the infamous Justin versus Daigo Grand Finals of the first year of Street Fighter IV. Uh, Edma. There's Alex Valle. Oh, yeah. Alex Valle, ladies and gentlemen, dude. Alex Valle, like, I don't know if I've been able to quite explain to you guys how much Alex Valle was really the FGC's Kobe Bryant. Like, the his attitude, his personality, the way he smiled, his his cocky persona, like, everything about him. Like, when you watch Bang the Machine... Like, there's all this drama going on, and, like, Vi is just like, woo, whatever. Dude, like, he is just, like, he was so... Edma, if I'm not mistaken, is working on on uh, Project L. I, I think he's, he's working at Project L. I think he's w with those guys right now. So, and then this was the uh, Alpha three-team tournament here, Japan versus U.S. So we had an Alpha 3 exhibition over here uh, for a team tournament. And I was just going through and taking pictures every time the score updated. Yeah, great photography work, James. This is really interesting. The same photo 7,000 times in a row. This is not interesting, James. Okay, here we go. Here was the Alpha 3. No, this is the third strike team. Here's our third strike team for the 5v5. It's Justin, who none of us knew was good at third strike. There was a qualifying tournament to find out who I think the last player was going to be or the last two players, and Justin qualified, and everybody was like, wait, Justin is good at third strike? What? Like, we were all confused. Like, nobody, we all knew him as an MVC2 player. Nobody knew he was good at third strike, and he qualified, so a lot of people were actually shocked that he made this team. But it was Justin, Alex Valle, uh, George, a.k.a. Gio, J.R. Rodriguez, and Mike Watson here. Again, a song hung, Asian don't raisin, man. Asian don't raisin. Oh, this was me, I think. See, these were my friends. These were my friends, and I was trying to say, look, girls attend fighting game tournaments, too. <laughs> uh, yeah, there was like five of them that year, dude. There was five of them, I think, total. So, yeah. Um, but more, uh, yeah, this was before, uh, the, the, the 5v5. And so here we go again, me taking pictures here. And as you can see, as the scores continue to go up, US is not winning anything. As you can see, we're still at two and <laughs> Tom and Tony being the trolls that they are. Like, we were not winning at all, and so he added two exclamation marks after the two. Like, two! We actually got two! And then, uh, at some point in time, we got to three, and he even increased the font size of the three to be like, Yo! We got three! We got three! Three! Um... 
then if I'm not mistaken, that will be the last victory for Team US as uh, we basically got bodied. And then here's the Super Turbo top eight that we're playing. Mike Watson versus Jason Cole. Shirts versus Jumpsuit Jesse. APOC versus Mester. John Choi versus Mike Watson. John Choi versus Jumpsuit Jesse, etc. And it actually came down to the grand final. So here's uh, Mark Acero, Flip Main. Uh, this is Jaha at the time, and he was pretty ripped for the time. If you've seen Jaha now, it's like, oh my god. <laughs> Dude, Song Hung, that's going to be part of the story, what happened with, uh, with uh, Third Strike that year, uh, and how much it was, it basically changed the history of Third Strike. There you go. Flip Main and uh, Jaha. Jaha, of course, on the East Coast right now. Flip Main is a game developer. He's worked on... Uh, Game, some games that you've played, and I think he's in Canada right now doing some game development up there. Not 100% sure. But yeah, Jaha's always been Jaha, right? That Jaha, is just, that's just how he's always been. So here's more Super Turbo. And sure enough, Grand Finals came down to Nuki versus uh, Jason Cole. So this was Grand Finals, and Jason Cole ended up winning it. He won the previous year at B5 as well, also defeating Nuki. And so at this point, Jason Cole was two-time Super Turbo champion over Nuki both years. And it always came down to the first game. Jason Cole would win the first game, and then it was a counterpick, 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 etc. Until Jason Cole, or whoever won the first game, kind of won. And so Jason Cole ended up winning Super Turbo. And again, one of the only back-to-back -back winners of the time. Uh, he was he played Dalsum. It was mostly well, like I said, it was Dalsum, Osaga, and Balrog. They they had the uh, counterpick circle, basically. They had the counterpick circle going on, and then your CVS two doing all of this stuff over here, uh, including one of my favorite photos I have ever taken in my entire life. Here was me trying to do a highlight exposure uh, picture over here. Uh, do, 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 do. Uh, and eventually grand finals came down to Nuki versus Tokido uh, and Tokido would end up taking it and do the Tokido pose this is the first Tokido pose this is like my favorite photo that I took from this year because I got him right when he did the Tokido pose and uh, Nuki with his head in the back going no so yeah, he won at the first EVO, which is why when he won Street Fighter V, almost 20 years later, I bawled like a little baby because look at this guy. I've known this guy forever, dude, but Tokido was literally, he was a showman at this time already. He was making fun of a biken player from a very famous Japanese video that when the biken player would do something cool, he would go like that, like at the cabinet. He would actually just like, like, like he would pose like that. And so Tokido was literally making fun of that guy. And that became the first Tokido pose before he ever did the Akuma pose with the projector, which was the most genius thing ever, dude. And so here's them w winning. Oh, I wasn't disrespectful. He was, he was just having fun, dude. But yeah, old glasses wearing Tokido over here. <laughs> but yeah, it was very uncommon. But again, that just shows you how Tokido was kind of ahead of his time. Really, honestly, he was ahead of his time. And look at this guy. Tokido, 20 years ago. 
with the CVS2 belt, man. This is the Tokido we all know and love today, dude. And this was 20 years ago, winning at Evo 2002. I'm not sure when Mago showed on the scene, to be honest with you, Converse. I don't have that information. Right, they were all scrawny and stuff, and then he just like worked out, and now he's huge, and here's all the MVC2 stuff. Clockwork, Kamofin, Genghis, Rotana, Sin, Justin, Kamofin, Nestor, yeah, Rodolfo, all these guys playing over here. And again, this was one out of one. <laughs> and uh, Rodolfo was supposed to be another, I think he was also a Pacific Northwest player, and he was supposed to be another one of the players that had the ability to defeat Justin Wong, and uh, he failed to defeat uh, Justin Wong. So, I mean, that whole thing was... Uh, was Japan, right? So, and it's Shankar, dude. Jesus Christ. Is that Shankar? Yeah, he's been around forever, dude. Holy crap. Uh, and there's Justin Wong with his Burger King hat uh, winning MVC2. Uh, yeah, it was really funny. Like, they all gave him a Burger King hat uh, to wear while he played and stuff. So, uh, more pictures of the players. There's Genghis. And yeah, this was the closing out here. Here's Chris Lee again. Mike Creaky. This is a David Wright. Seth Killian over here. Uh, but this was basically, this was the end of the tournament. Everybody shuffling out. Oh, there's Bob Painter, uh, who was the originator of the um, Super Turbo uh, Tournament of Champions. That's Bob Painter right there. There's the security guy trying to kick us all out. Um, and yeah, and that was it. That was the end of it right there. That was uh, Evo 2002. Those are the photos that I had that I took. And, um, but you know, the important thing about seeing that was just to kind of get an idea of what the scope of these tournaments were. It wasn't huge, it wasn't big, right? But here's the thing, here's the story that I really wanna tell. It was the start of when fighting game tournaments really, really started getting big. Now, one of the things, I mean, started becoming spectacles is what I should say, and it was really the start of a lot of stuff. One of the things I'm gonna say here, and this is funny, there are no pictures of the Saturday tournament, of this tournament on Saturday. There are zero pictures of this tournament on Saturday. I was very fortunate that I somehow convinced everybody to run this in, uh, in UCLA because one of my coworkers who I'd become very good friends with at my first job was getting married that weekend. And I was a groomsman. I was a groomsman for the, for the wedding. And so the wedding was on Saturday so I couldn't go to Evo on Saturday. <laughs> I could not go to Evo on Saturday. And so I only attended Friday and Sunday. Um, with the Evo logo? Uh, I'm not sure, Dash Rendar. I'm not sure what you're talking about. So if you have a picture of that, you can send that to me. But what's interesting is... I ended up going to the tournament on Friday, didn't go on Saturday because I did the wedding, and then on Sunday, I returned. Uh, oh, I do have one of them of you in there? Holy crap. <laughs> 
Yes, my friends are still married. As far as I know, I haven't spoke to them in a very long time. But here was the interesting thing. This is the conversation I had with Tom Cannon at this event. I entered CVS2. I did not enter MVC2 because I'm terrible. So I walked up to Tom Cannon and I was like, hey, can you make sure that I only play my CVS2 pools on Friday and Sunday, potentially? Like, can my pools not be on Saturday because I have to go to this wedding? And he's like, don't worry. All of CVS pools are on Friday. And I was like, all of them? Really? Wait, so how does this work? He's like, yeah, because on Saturday, that's when we run all of uh, MVC2. And I was like, that's really interesting. Wait, you're running all of to, to all of the pools on Saturday and Friday? What are we doing Sunday? And Tom was like, so Sunday is going to only be top eight. We're going to set it up so that the top eight play on Sunday. And I was like, dude, tournaments run late all the time. Like, schedules are crazy. Like, why would you only run top eight on Sunday? You're wasting valuable potential time to run brackets on, uh, you know, like, this is like a terrible idea. Why would you do this? And Tom was like, well, the idea is to try to make Sunday into more like a spectacle day. This is the day when everybody sits down and watches and it's like a show at this point in time. And I was like, this is the worst idea I've ever heard. (laughs) I was like, this is terrible. Why the hell would you do this? And Tom's like, "Eh, you know, but you know. And again, one of the reasons why I trust Tom and Tony explicitly is that uh, they're smart and I'm terrible. But yes, Evo 2002 was the first time we've ever had a top eight. Before, if you didn't make top three, it didn't matter. But if you made, uh, if you were outside of top three, you were basically useless. <laughs> yes. If you did top three, you were basically useless uh, outside of top three. This was the tournament that changed it so that top eight became the thing. Nobody had ever done this before. And again, like I said, I thought it was the worst idea ever. But keep in mind that the 5v5 Third Strike exhibition took place on Sunday. And so the fact that we had an audience watching it actually was one of the biggest things that helped restart Third Strike in America possible. So a lot of this came down. The reason why I'm telling the story is because a lot of people don't realize top eight was not a thing back in the day. We didn't care about top eight at all. (laughs) We had no interest in top. Top eight meant nothing. Like four through eight was like you're, 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 you're whatever, garbage. And so actually around this time, there were a lot of people who were like, you guys are being baby, like you baby community need your stupid honorable mentions. Back in my day, top three was the only thing that mattered. Nowadays, people are happy about making top eight. Like you scrub, like you're nothing if you didn't get top three. You're garbage. 
You know, like, that's just honorable mention shit. We're just trying to coddle to players and make them feel good about themselves. Yeah, participation trophies, exactly big for Lil. That was the idea that the, that getting four through eight was participation trophy. Like, can you imagine? Like, that was the mentality back then from a lot of people. The real players made top three. Top eight, what? Like, come on, you're garbage if you made top eight. And that's kind of where uh, we were. And so EVO 2002 changed a lot of this. It, it changed everything. And yeah, let's talk about Third Strike. Let's talk about Third Strike and where Third Strike was during this event. It was not a main game. Remember when I showed the belts, it was Super Turbo, it was CVS2, and it was MVC2. This was when Shoryuken.com was one of the biggest biggest uh, events uh what am i trying to update the overlay at this point oh yeah the top eight sorry i've went in the wrong order here because now i'm back into the state of third strike i went in the opposite direction sorry back to the state of third strike so um again the cannons were absolutely adamant to not put Third Strike at this year. Third Strike was at B5, and they did not want Third Strike at uh, EVO 2002. There was probably a little bias there. I know they didn't like the game. <laughs> and again, back in the day, there were a lot of people who very much disliked Third Strike. Because again, Third Strike, before Street Fighter V, and, you know, was one of the most different Street Fighter Five, uh, Street Fighter games of all time. There was a lot of people who actually just didn't like Third Strike because it was a completely different game. There was no projectile wars, like the the, the, the range game didn't mean as much, etc., etc. Oh, Japan was still playing the hell out of this game, as we will see in just a little bit. Japan was definitely playing, but in the U.S., Third Strike was dead. Street Fighter Three came out. The original Street Fighter 3 New Generations, nobody played it. Nobody played that game. It came out, only Ryu and Ken were repeat characters. Everyone was like, who the hell were all these other players? And like, we nobody cared. Street Fighter 3, for all intents and purposes, was a dead game during the point it existed in the arcade. Nobody played New Generation. Second Impact Giant Attack came out, added two characters and Akuma, and Akuma was busted, and then Sean turned out to be the most ridiculous character uh, in the game. Nobody played Second Impact either. And yeah, Hugo had an infinite. In fact, when I showed up to B3, I didn't even know about the Hugo infinite. I picked Hugo against Vi because I was playing the grapplers, and Vi's like, oh, you're going to do the infinite on me, huh? And I was like, uh, what infinite? <laughs> Like, that's how bad information traveled that Vi, the SoCal player, knew about it, and James, the SoCal player, had no idea that there was a Hugo Infinite at all. <laughs> right, well, their whole goal was that Sean is supposed to suck. I mean, even in his win, win, when you win the game with him, his ending is him getting his ass beat by Ryu. His ending is him getting his ass beat after you beat Gil, the leader of the Illuminati. So yeah, they nerfed the hell out of him for Third Strike because he was supposed to be bad. Uh, Yun was really good in the original Street Fighter 3. In Second Impact, 
I have no idea if he's good at this point or not. Now, I really have no bearing on what second impact is nowadays. So Yun is still top three in second impact. But again, this whole period of time was just such a blur. Nobody was playing fighting games. And remember, I've talked about this in a previous stream. This was the period of time where we were going 3D. This is where we had the PlayStation 1. And remember, you know, people would play Battle Arena Toshinden or Virtua Fighter 2 and just be like, graphics will never get better than this. Alpha 3 would come out on home consoles and all the magazines would be like, this is just the same old thing and it's shitty sprites. Move to 3D by now. Look how beautiful Battle Arena Toshinden looks. Why are you still using these horrible, ugly, outdated sprites? Like, this is the time period we were. So all of these 2D fighting games were dead in the water when they were coming out. And arcades were just not important at all. Nobody was playing in the arcade. The people playing fighting games were very niche. And so at this point, Third Strike's popularity was so low that Tom and Tony Cannon said, you know what, it's not going to be at EVO. There was a huge fuss on Shoryuken where, like, I swear, like, the entire Third Strike fan base, the fervent fan base of, like, ten people, like, changed their uh, banners, their, their Shoryuken forum banners to be, like, Third Strike for EVO, Third Strike for EVO. And they actually willed Third Strike back into EVO in 2003, but it just didn't work in 2002. They, people were fighting for it, fighting, fighting. And people were also fighting for Alpha 3 to be one of the games. And Alpha 3 wasn't one of the main games. That's why we had the Alpha 3 5v5 and the Third Strike 5v5. Just to showcase the games to an extent. And just kind of jump to the chase and get the best players to showcase their stuff. 2003 was when uh, the resurgence happened. Issei was one of the reasons for sure. Uh, this 2002 was also one of the big reasons as well because this showcase really showed us what we were missing. But like I said, I'll talk about that uh, a little bit uh, later on. Third Alpha 3 was not huge. <laughs> Alpha 3 was not huge. <laughs> Again, huge in the fighting game community, perhaps. But in the reality of things, huge? No, not at all. Not at all. Again, this was the Dark Ages. Like, this was like Dark Ages. Like, there's a reason why we call this Dark Ages uh, at the time. And so, you know, Third Strike was not popular at all. And you'll also see this too when, when we get to the actual match footage. Like, we were bad at the game, dude. We were awful at the... We didn't have to... There was no YouTube at the time. Getting footage of Japan play was nigh impossible at the time. This is why at the time I thought I was good at Vampire Savior because people couldn't beat me, but we weren't playing like Japan. We had no idea how to actually play this game, you know? And we didn't have any of the footage, like, if we had footage, it would have been handheld VCR footage, as you'll see from here. And in fact, they actually did take direct feed footage at this Evo, but all the footage got either lost or corrupted or the hard drive died or something happened. And so the only footage that we could put onto the DVD were matches that the community actually filmed. 
And so we were able to put that footage on the DVD was just all through handheld camera. And so when we go to the YouTube video here, you'll see that the entire Third Strike 5v5 is on uh, camcorder footage. And so we really had nothing, right? Uh, we just didn't have, yeah, tips and tricks, right? Culture Clash, right? Yeah, that was like the best. When Culture Clash, I mean, when uh, Tips and Tricks started uh, publishing results from tournaments across the country, it was like, it was like amazing. A magazine is actually publishing this. This is crazy. But it had to be on all the black and white pages towards the back, right? <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's, it, dude, like, Back then, the fighting games were in a terrible situation. And so, you know, once we got to the search track, we had no footage. We had nothing. GameFAQs was the best place. I mean, that's why I wrote those FAQs and wrote them so detailedly because that was my goal was to spread as much information in a way possible. It's one of the reasons why I got super popular on the FAQ front. Uh, we have Gunter from Japan just jumping into the chat right here. Uh, Gunter, a.k.a. Mr. David Dial, uh, one of the uh, premier... Uh, infinite finders of x-men versus street fighter <laughs> uh who lives in japan currently right now and also again uh it was him and madge that wizard sent to my house in 2004 to go and make me go to evo sunday on uh on on sunday it was david dial and it was uh madge who came to my house picked me up and made sure that I got to uh, Evo Sunday, and that's when the Daigo Perry happened. So if it wasn't for those two guys volunteering to go and be picked up, uh, to pick me up from my house, which was pretty far away, by the way, I would not have seen the Daigo Perry. Uh, I did not end up going to, I was, had no plans to going to Evo, I think this was in 04, I had no plans of going on Sunday because, uh, again, very, very just awful thing happened to me uh, on Saturday. And so I was in no mood to go, uh, but they dragged me there. That's when the two-hit combo debuted, and that's when um, uh, the Daigo Perry happened. So thankfully to them for coming to my house and, and dragging me back. <laughs> Gunter says he has no memory of this. <laughs> That's how I remember it. Maybe I have it wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was the two of you who came to my house to, to pick me up. So, uh, but again, uh, yeah. So in 2002, uh, nothing, nothing, like nobody cared about third strike. Nobody cared about third strike in America. And one of the biggest proofs of that is that when you watch the footage here, Mike Watson, who's one of our best in third strike, in third strike, was using Sorai Rengeki, the punchy punch super. Because we had no idea how good Ganajin was in third strike until Mester, in this event, destroyed us all. <laughs> So again, apologies to the people who are listening to this in podcast form. This footage is an hour long, and I kind of want to watch a lot of this footage. 
so I apologize for you guys sitting at home unable to actually see this. Again, I recommend the YouTube link will be in the SoundCloud space there or like I said, youtube.com slash TV. You'll be able to find that uh, over there. Yeah, it was only a cult following. Gunter remembers, and uh, I definitely, I think I had a photo of you in there, so uh, I think you were there in one of the pictures that I just showed earlier. But let's actually go back to over here again. So let's go ahead and just start watching this footage. It starts right away, and the way that they did it is they put the Japanese player up first, and he ran through the entire American lineup. Then they switched to the next player, and they went through the entire lineup, etc., etc., Yes, and this is where we learned about Ganajin because we'll see Mester using Ganajin and you will hear a lot of the audience. And again, this is why I told that top eight story because it's so important that we were in a position that we had audience noise in this footage. The only reason why we had that loud of audience noise is because of the Sunday top eight format. That was the only reason why. And this is KSK, okay? This is not just an Alex player. He was making top eights at Evos for years. KSK is one of the greatest Alex players of all time. One of the greatest Alex players of all time. So yes, this is KSK, uh, the OG playing Alex here. As you'll see, this first matchup here is gonna be uh, KSK versus Justin Wong. And again, none of us knew how good Justin was at third strike. I remember when we heard he qualified for the top eight, we were like, what? Justin, the NBC player? How did the... Uh, I don't remember who recorded this footage. I can't remember who recorded this footage. Uh, this was from the Evo DVD, so all the YouTube pages that have them are all just rips of the, uh, of the Evo DVD, basically. And you guys can't really hear the crowd footage. I'm going to put on the headphones so I can hear crowd footage uh, at the same time, the, the, the crowd noises. Uh, Tragic did the Evo Moment 37 video. I helped with the DVDs uh, later on. So when Tom and Tony were working on it, they did all this themselves. Eventually, when Tom and Tony basically left the in-charge role, and shifted it to Wizard, that's when I started helping out with the DVD, because I helped... Wizard, look at that, you hear the audience cheering? Yo, Justin, what? You're about to beat the great KSK one round? Gutex didn't show up until uh, EVO 2004. Ah, oh, couldn't pull it off, KSK with the double stomp working on Justin Wong over here. Oh man, but yeah, this is what Justin did. Even in MVC2, he was super defensive. And I'm telling you right now, all the Chun-Li matches are gonna be very long and all the other matches are not gonna be as long. <laughs> Infamous East Coast style for sure. And look at this, Justin is beating Kim. This is the first match of the week of the, of the 5v5 and none of us knew Justin knew how to play third strike at all. And he takes a round off of KSK. And so listen to this, listen to this. Listen to the audience and how happy they are about this. 
And so Justin, yeah, just playing super defensive over here. Now, again, Justin playing super defensive is gonna come back in a little bit, and it's just gonna be uh, pretty fun. Funny, we'll see the turtle style that Justin has coming back to bite him in just a little bit. And again, in America, all we knew about in Third Strike was Chun can confirm one hit into Super. It was one of the first times in any fighting game one hit into a one hit confirms were a real thing. Previous to this, everyone believed that you could only confirm off of at least two moves. So light light into super was a thing, but one hit into super wasn't a thing. That was all we knew about this game in America. So every time someone lands a crouch medium kick and doesn't combo it, the audience goes, oh, like that was all we knew at this time. That was like the depth of our third strike knowledge. And oh, Justin won. Oh. Trying to beat KSK? Uh, Kara throws were barely known for us. I think they might have been known at this time, but Justin, turtle style, defeats KSK. And remember, in this 5v5, it's one game. One game. We put a win on the board in game number one. And if you remember looking at the photos that I showed you, <laughs> We were like, yo, we got a game on the board. This might actually be even. Yeah, uh, we won't talk about what the what the scores ended up in the in the footage. <laughs> and here's JR Rodriguez. As I said, the other matches that are not Chudley are not going to last quite as long as the matches uh, that involve Chudley. Now, Tatsu was really powerful against the tall characters because you couldn't tell how many Tatsus were coming. Oh, jeez. Yeah, this top 8 idea was just so beautiful because of this crowd reaction and stuff. It was so great. Yeah, don't you love the fact that Tom and Tony actually angled the overlays of the names to match the angle of the graphics, dude? It's so good. I think it's DVD only. I don't think we had the technology to overlay them on the projector. So this, I'm pretty sure, is actually only on the DVD that has those names on there. I'm pretty sure we did not have quite the technology to put the overlays on the actual footage. So that's why you see they're like, they're. They're, they only come on after the match starts because they were editing them on and off. I do have this DVD, I do. I still have this DVD, absolutely. Yep, Super Art 2 with Mike Watson going with Sorai Rengeki because we didn't know at the time. We didn't know about Ganajin at the time. And again, KSK one of the greatest uh, Alex players here, just basically making mincemeat out of all of our players over here. Yeah, EX elbow slash in there. And again, if people aren't aware of this, Alex is not good in this game. He is not good. Dude, he just did wake up command grab, dude. Probably a parry option select into command grab uh, that just worked out for him because Watson didn't touch a button. He even got the back turn throw. 
on his landing. Okay, there's it. So we're at two to one right now. Two to one. Now, yeah, this is before we found out about Makoto, really. So this is George Posadas, AKA Geo. He was a Family Fun player that was kind of one of the new blood from the Family Fun Third Strike scene. We didn't know who he was. A lot of us were like, who is this Geo kid? And he even played P-Groove in CBS2. In fact, I think he was one of the players that beat me in CBS2 at this tournament. I believe it was him and Danny Leong who both played P-Groove and beat me, if I'm not mistaken. Because I've never played against Perry, so I suck. So George was one of the, like, he was super quiet and very kept to himself, but he was like that weird deadly assassin. Like he was super, super good. And so he was, uh, like a lot of people didn't know who he was when he made this 5v5 team. A lot of people were like, whoa, who's this George guy? Like George, right? His name is George. Like what's his handle? Geo was his handle. And uh, yeah, he was not very well known, but he was really making a name for himself. He really disappeared after Third Strike, and a lot of people to this day still wonder what happened to him. I still don't know where George is, where Geo is at this point, but it would be awesome if, if we could find out where this guy is at this point in time. But you know, he's doing pretty well against KSK, and again, Chun-Li, best character in the game, outside of Yun, but we didn't know. So you can see a lot of the Chuns here are keeping up with uh, KSK, but that's because KSK has to play so carefully. But see, every time the crouching medium kick lands and there's no super, oh, <laughs> Like I said, that was all we knew. That was all we knew in freaking, uh, oh, did he just charge partition that? We did not know about charge partition at the time either. Yep. So the reason why George had no idea this was coming is because KSK charge partitioned the head stomp right there. So it didn't look like he was charging for it. Nobody in the audience even caught that. Nobody even saw that. And like nowadays, if you're a commentator and you don't go, whoa, he charge partitioned the slant, the, 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 the stomp, like people be like, these commentators suck. Right, and back then, like, nobody knew anything that happened over there. <laughs> nobody saw where that came from. Like, I can actually say that about that. Yeah, we didn't know about charge partitioning. In fact, I'm nobody probably even saw that and went like, how did he do the head stop? Like, nobody even caught it or noticed it or whatever. We just thought we didn't notice him charging or something. I'm leaning out of frame. Yeah, you're right. Because I'm watching the footage over there. Um, nice air throw. So can we get two Chun-Li wins against KSK? And again, remember, K uh, Alex is not a good character in this game. Alex is not a good character in this game. Mm. Uh, well, Flashy Flash, who says he does not know how to charge partition, uh, you can only charge partition in third strike. Do not listen to anything anybody else says. Charge partitioning does not exist in Street Fighter 4. It does not exist in Street Fighter 5. It does not exist in Street Fighter 3 New Generation. It does not exist 
in Second Impact. It only exists in Third Strike. So when people say someone's charge partitioning in some of those old games, they are wrong. There is no charge partitioning in Super Turbo. Third Strike is literally the only Street Fighter game in existence that has charge partitioning. Charge partitioning, anytime anyone says exists in other fighting games, they are wrong. They are 100% wrong. Maybe Marvel superheroes, I don't know. I would have to try. Oh yeah, why was Mr. Ryu? I mean, look at the way he plays. Why is, I mean, he's still Vi, and again, the Vi style of rushdown is what Vi did. This is how he always played. He was always super kinetic. So just so you know, charge partitioning is taking the initial charge time of a charge move and splitting it into pieces. So as long as the break between the charges is less than like three or four frames, you can charge partition. But charge partitioning only exists for the initial charge up. The initial charge up for the a move. Once the move has finished charging up, you if you ever let go of the charge, you instantly lose the charge. So what Keisuke would did to charge partition that was he hit standing medium punch held down right when standing medium punch ended, let go of down, hit standing medium punch, then immediately hit down again. Look at this, we got our second win. So it's three to two. And if you remember the final score, we got our second win here against KSK. We got our second win against KSK. And I'm gonna pause here for a second here because I need to talk about this a little bit. It's not broken. It actually makes charge characters fair, but you can break that charge. So KSK did standing strong down, let go standing strong down, let go standing strong down, Finish the charge. So between those three splits, he combined together enough time to finish the charge for the head stomp, and then he could do the head stomp. Again, if he did it one more time, he would have lost charge because after you finish building up the charge, you cannot charge part, you cannot break that charge anymore. It was a wonderful technique in third strike. It, it's a very high-level technique. It was actually Kind of fair. It was actually kind of fair because, again, none of the charge characters were any good in this game. <laughs> Except Yurian. <laughs> Except Yurian. And the only reason why Yurian could compete is because he had charge partitioning. You'll see a lot of Yurians do dash, dash, headbutt because they dash, hold down, dash, hold down, and then headbutt because of the charge partitioning. But that's what made Yurian able to stay competitive with Chun-Li, Yun, and Ken. Without it, without charge partitioning, Yurian would basically die. <laughs> Chun isn't a charge character in that game. Uh, I don't even think her fireball was a charge. I'm pretty sure her fireball, yeah, fireball is just uh, a motion. She had no charge moves in that game, except for spinning bird kick, I think. I think for only spinning bird kick was a charge in that game. <clears throat> So Suburban Socrates says, I understand what James is saying, but I think that if charge characters need partitioning to be good, that's a problem with the design of the game, not even the characters, the game itself. Again, Third Strike is a very, 
very flawed game. And I'm not saying that to be the third strike trash talker people think I am. Like, I can talk to you about every problem of Super Turbo. And Super Turbo has a lot of them. Third Strike is not a balanced game. Not a balanced game at all. It had a lot of jank in it. It was not, to its, fa to its credit, no bug ever broke the game. No bug ever broke Third Strike like a roll canceling did for CVS2. Or I should say, destroyed the meta. Carathrows might be the closest thing to it. Now, it's important that I talk about this because I want to tell you right now, the worst character in the game is 12. <laughs> worst character in the game is 12. This matchup right here, 12 versus Chun-Li, is like kind of bad. Kind of bad. <laughs> One of the, like, the worst matchups in the game. Uh, if 12 ever did standing heavy kick and hit Chun-Li, Chun-Li could super him and kill him. Like That's how much recovery he had on standing heavy kick. Even developers didn't understand frame data back then. So that's why Sean could do standing heavy kick, wait 17 years into super in second impact because nobody knew what frame data was, plus, minus, whatever, etc. And yes, roll canceling technically saved CVS too. Uh, but again, I want you to keep in mind that 12 is the worst character in this game. By far. By far. And not only that, but Chiku loves to play unorthodox characters. Chiku made Saddam really strong in Alpha 3. Today, Saddam is considered very strong in Alpha 3. That's because of Chiku. Everybody learned from Chiku. He played Anacharis in MVC2. Chiku was an Anacharis player in MVC2. And so he played 12 here in Third Strike. We all knew he sucked. We didn't know 12 could be played like this. We had no idea 12 could be played like this. And he basically just stays in the air all the time and does this. He plays Marvel. And so for those of you who really love 12 in Third Strike, this is the reason why you do. Like, if you talk to Ultra David, he loves his character because he has a completely different game plan than everybody else. He's really unique in this game. I hate 12 because I think he's the stupidest visually character design ever. And I just hate this character. I hate him. I just hate the character. I don't mind the way he plays. I just hate the character visually. Yeah, he has no confirms. He's, he's this is how you played him. And this is what Chiku did. And we didn't know you could play 12 like this. And Justin just had a bad confirm here. And oh, look at the punish from 12. Woo, 12, baby. Let's go. This is all he did. And nobody in America had any experience fighting this. Nobody in America had any experience fighting this kind of 12. We did not know this was a way to play him. And literally, Chiku, oh, Chiku ended up, I mean, he might even be half of this video. He might even be half of this video because of how he plays this. Like that there, like if Chun had a super, that's it. You super him on response after blocking that standing heavy kick. But Chiku knows that he didn't have it. And look at that. 
The way that he air dashes backwards or forwards makes it really hard to figure out what he's trying to do. And you can just see the desperation of Justin trying to get in on this character, tries to go for a throw, but Cheeky's not going to be on the ground. He just back dashes and tries to get out of there. What an air throw. See, even back then, Justin was a genius, dude. Six, 15, 16 year old Justin or whatever. Look at this. He takes a round, dude. He takes a round. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's Magneto with no damage, right? It's Magneto if Magneto hits you once every single time. But like I said, this is actually a terrible, terrible matchup. And again, the fact that Chiku is playing like this and just blowing everybody up just shows how little knowledge we had of this game at the time. You just see this, like it's so hard to lock him down. Now, again, you try to do any of this stuff now and everybody will kill you because again, he's the worst character in the game. This is not actually an effective thing. <laughs> Yay! And Cheeky's not even trying to parry either, which is funny. I'm so old. Oh, Justin tried to parry. No, what was that flip? And everybody, like, literally, I remember watching this live and just going, what? This is how you play the character? What? Wait, what? And I was, like, super confused. And, like, a, like I said, a lot of us had no idea this is what you could do with the character. Uh, again, the, play, the, the overlays here, Super Moose, are on the DVD itself. We didn't have the overlays on the, on the screen. If you remember my photos, all the names were on the side, right? They had a separate graphic on the side. The names weren't actually overlaid on the, on the game. This is only for the DVD that they put the overlays on here. We didn't have the technology to overlay graphics over the video feed back in the day. That's just not something we had. In fact, we might have had two projectors one for the graphics and one for the game itself just to even do this again the fact that we pulled off a lot of this stuff in 2002 is nothing short of amazing and again just so you guys know tom and tony were part of the cutting edge of technology okay i think they were at microsoft when microsoft ipo okay so again like tom and tony have been computer geniuses their whole entire lives and so a lot of this stuff that's actually happening with the FGC, the, the, them making DVDs, them having the ideas to host, a lot of this stuff is because Tom and Tony are geniuses, okay? Like, like literally, I wouldn't be surprised if they were actually classified as true geniuses. Like, they were so smart. Oh, the JR specialty! <laughs> Thank you, Pistol Pete, who says, so awesome, there's footage, but more importantly, your context and being there and your clear passion, amazing, my friend. Thank you very much, appreciate it. No, he doesn't have dive kicks. He doesn't have dive kicks, he just has air dashes, but that jumping hit, oh, that's right, he does have the, uh, he has the dive, the nose dive thing, yes. He has a nose dive air special move, which he doesn't use at all ever because it's super punishable. So there's no point in using it unless you use the EX version, I believe. But again, like I said, none of us had seen any of this before. There it is right there. 
Jesus. And you hear that? When he did EX fingers in the ground and then did heavy kick afterwards, you heard the audience go, whoa. Because none of us knew he could do that. And again, this looks super like strong and annoying to fight. But remember, 12 is the worst character in the game. He is the worst character in the game. He is not good. He is terrible. He's worse than Remy. He's worse than Sean. He's like literally the worst character in the game. Uh, it's something to two. So at three, four, five, I think five to two at this point in time. Uh, imbecile 751. Uh, we do not mention Thongboy's name in this chat. He's a good friend of mine, but uh, he he knows what he did to me. He knows what he did to me. If Longboy ever wants to get back on my good side, he knows what to do. He knows what to do. Um, but yeah, none of us had ever fought this before. We had no idea how to fight this. So Mike Watson, uh, I mean, someone can confirm with me, but I'm pretty sure he's the worst character in the game. Even worse than Sean, even worse than Remy. I'm pretty sure 12 is considered the worst in the game at this point. Uh, in, in the tier list for this game. 12 is the worst. Yeah, worse than Q as well. Yeah, so Stickman confirming he is the worst character in this game. And again, Mike Watson doing an admirable job. But here's the thing about 12, is that 12 is a knowledge check character, right? If you don't know how to fight him, you die. You have to know how to fight him in order to be able to beat him. If you don't know how to fight him, then 12 will wreck your shit. Like, like this is happening right here. And I remember this too, because after Vi lost to Chiku uh, in this event, he, he picked up 12. I remember Vi started playing 12 because he wanted to see how it worked. So he played him a lot as well and would use him and try to emulate what Chiku was doing. Uh, so he could also learn his weaknesses and stuff like that. Yeah, you can see he has no combos. <laughs> Literally no combos. So he's just flying and again, for those of you listening to this on uh, SoundCloud or on Spotify, dude, we're just seeing 12 jump and air dash forward, jump and air dash backwards, jump and air dash whiff, jump and air dash. Oh, but Posadas, George, gets a kill here in this round over here. And, and again, don't get me wrong, uh, DJ Blues, Q and Sean are awful. So it's probably kind of a good debate here, who's the worst in this game if it's actually 12Q or Sean. Uh, but yeah, Q can have uh, hit points. He also has some of the worst matchups in the game, like Q versus Makoto, which is just one of those makes you cry matchups. But yes, this game is horribly, horribly imbalanced. And in fact, like even though it has parries and you'll see a lot of low tier heroes like the Remy player in Japan at Third Strike Co-op Cup and stuff like that. I dare say this might be the most unbalanced Street Fighter game 
like final form of Street Fighter game, right? Obviously games like Alpha 1, like Champion Edition, way more unbalanced. But in terms of the like the time stops, like Hyper Fighting, Super Turbo, Alpha 2, Alpha 3, Third Strike, Street Fighter 4, Street Fighter 5, CBS 1, CBS 2. I think this is the most unbalanced Street Fighter game of them all. Because the bad characters are really bad and the good characters are really good. Also, the game doesn't really have matchups. What a lot of people will tell you about Third Strike is your placement on the tier list is entirely dependent on how well you blow up parries. So if you're the best character in the game, you beat everybody in the tier list under you. If you are fifth from the bottom, you lose to everyone above you and beat everyone below you. Like, it's pretty consistent at that way. And again, yes, NG is new, next generation, and new generation is pretty unbalanced, but I don't count that one as one of the, 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 the save points. I don't count that as one of the bookmarks. I only count like Hyper Fighting, Super Turbo, uh, Alpha 2, Alpha 3, because there's such a contention between those two uh, on which one is a better Alpha game, etc., etc. So NG and Second Impact, I don't really uh, consider that uh, as part as as like one of the bookmarks of the of the Street Fighter lore, essentially. But out of all the street, out of all the bookmarks, like the bookmarks are the one that we're still playing today, right? People still play Third Strike. Only in some circles do some people still play 2i and NG. But for the most part, um, did Team USA do a huddle? I mean, I don't remember at this point in time. They probably were talking about it, but it was not going well at all. So Street Fighter EX wasn't popular at all. Nobody played that versus. That was just a expert training mode game. That was it. Let's go by the uh, but yeah, technically NG and 2i were season 1 and 2. But again, this is one of the most unbalanced fighting games in my opinion. Like, yeah, we see a lot of crazy people do some good stuff with that game, but that's one. You put in a damn lot of time into the game, and we have low-tier heroes in a lot of games, right? I mean, FAB doing really well with Potemkin in, in Exert doesn't mean Potemkin isn't one of the worst characters in Exert. <laughs> like, just because FAB does well in Exert with Potemkin doesn't mean Potemkin can win. He still sucks. And so, uh, this game really is like one of the worst balanced games in Street Fighter history, in my opinion. Uh, if you play it at the highest level, two out of three, three out of five, top eight, you will see nothing but Yuns and Chuns. I've actually done uh, a stats on EVO top 8 for third. This is it. Oh, okay, okay. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Hang on, hang on, hang on. This is the one. This is the one. So, Chikyu goes 5-0. 5-0 against Team USA. Tokido comes into the mix here. Nobody in America knows about the to about Urian Unblockables. Nobody in America knows about Urian Unblockables. All we know is that Justin is a turtle 
We didn't even know Tokido is a troll. We didn't even know Tokido is a troll. And this is one of the most infamous matches. And this match right here was the start of the Justin Gets Demolished highlight reels of Evo. 2002, it was this. 2003, it was him getting blown up by Sue Mighty in the East Coast, West Coast Marvel thing. And then 2004 was Justin Wong getting Daigo parried. And finally, in 2005, the highlight was Justin's comeback on Yipes. It was finally in 2005 that Justin was on the right end of the highlights. But this was one of the things. So uh, Mike Lee in the chat has mentioned many times already that uh, Issei, one of, the be- one of the strongest players in Japan of Third Strike, moved to America, moved to New York, and really taught U.S. how to play. That was one of the factors for really bringing Third Strike to where it is today in America. This is another one. The Daigo Perry is another one. And then there's a, a very famous Japanese 5v5 tournament footage that I can't seem to find on YouTube that is on a hard drive that I have on my desk, but I can't find the USB cable for that hard drive. So I'll have to show it another time unless someone can find it on YouTube. But those four things really contributed to turning Third Strike into what it is today in America. This is one of those matches. And again, to put the context into play here, nobody knows who Tokido is. Nobody knows uh, about the Urina Unblockables. We saw Justin Turtle KSK to death. And so when we see this start to happen, we think that, and we all know Chun-Li low forward into super is super scary, so when this starts happening, listen to the audience cheer because we think Tokido is making a mistake letting Chun-Li build all that meter. Oh, was that 2007? Okay, then, then there might have been another anti-Justin highlight in 2005 that I just don't remember. East Coast, you hear somebody yell. And Tokido's like, I'm losing this speed. I should stick to strong. So now he starts hitting strong and everyone's like, man, this is such in favor of Justin because just Chun-Li with meter is so scary. What is Yurian gonna do to this? And Tokido's like, if I hit him now, I win. And so everyone's like, yeah, look at Justin's turtle style. Tokido even messed up the unblockable at that point. And it still worked. And again, everybody in the audience right now is just wondering why Justin isn't blocking. Why didn't Justin block any of those those knee drops? We didn't know. And I want to point out something too, is that when Tokido is doing this combo here, when he starts doing this combo at first, the audience goes, oh, when the chariot tackle doesn't hit. 
We think Tokido drops the combo or makes a mistake. We actually didn't know he was doing it for positioning and that's part of the unblockable setup. So you hear a bunch of, you, you hear a very slight tinge of people going, oh, like, oh, that missed. He dropped the combo. No, that's part of the setup into the unblockable knee. So again, if you guys are not familiar about why unblockables work in Third Strike, everything that is produced in the game has a direction to be blocked. Because you set, you set out the Aegis Reflector while facing right, it has to be blocked holding right. And it can only be parried by hitting forward. The knee crosses up. Since it's a true cross-up, it has to be blocked by holding left. Because at this point, Tokido is on the right side. He's on the right. So Justin has to block by holding left. And he cannot parry it unless he hits forward on the controller. Yes, you can down parry it, except the knee, if I'm not mistaken, is a high hit. Is that a high hit? Is this a high hit? I'm not sure. But basically, you can't block it left or right. So Justin, no matter if he holds left or right, is going to get hit by either the mirror or the knee. And we didn't know. So we were like, oh, shoot. And he built, he only has two meters. You only get two Aegises. But the amount of meter you regain during this whole entire thing is ginormous. He gets another mirror. And like I said, Tokido actually misses this here. Justin turns around, but ends up getting hit by the mirror because Justin doesn't know that if you hold the other direction on the controller, you can no longer block the mirror. And Street Fighter Third Strike does not have absolute guard. Even though the Aegis Reflector hits, da-da-da-da-da, if you let go of the controller, you will get hit. You have to be holding block. And that was designed to nerf red parries, basically. Right, and Urians now do a very different technique now. They don't use this one that often anymore. And so there it is. This is the famous round that really got everybody crazy. And then uh, we go into round two. And now everybody's scared. Like, don't let them build meter! Don't let him build meter! And now Tokido's only goal is the back throw. He's trying to turtle in the corner. He's finding... There it was. Headbutt in the back throw. His only goal because now... Have fun. Oh, but Justin stayed patient. He low blocked. And so Tokido's like, well, I gotta build my win condition. Build all this meter. I don't care if you hit me a million times. I'm just gonna build all my meter. Here I am in the corner again. My only goal now is for a back throw. There it is. And so Justin knew that, teched it, and he got to the other side. Oh no! And again, everybody in the audience is asking, why isn't Justin blocking the super? Why isn't he blocking the super? because we actually had no idea it was an unblockable. Again, this is how little knowledge we had of Third Strike at this point. Oh yeah, yeah, no, Justin 100% knew something weird was going on. He knew something was off, but 
What what is he gonna do? <laughs> what is he gonna do? At that point, right? What's gonna happen? Yeah, so Akuma does do well against Yurian. Again, same reason that he does well against Q and Alex. These are all characters that cannot crouch under the Tatsu. And so Akuma can actually switch between medium, light, and heavy Tatsus against uh, the, these characters. And those characters have no... And, and those characters have to guess how many Tatsus he's going to do. It's not obvious when he lands. He doesn't have a huge recovery off of the landing. So like that, it's hard to tell exactly how many Tatsus are going through there. Oh, ow. Tokido played whatever was the cheapest thing possible. So for those of you who don't know, Tokido... We used to call him Dirty Tokido back then. That was his first nickname. We just called him Dirty Tokido because he played the cheapest thing. Tokido had no interest in being strong fundamentally in fighting games. He played the cheapest thing he could find and he won with that. That's literally all Tokido did. Oh man. It wasn't until Street Fighter 4 because he developed the Tokido Vortex with the Kuma, so he was like, this is cheap. I don't have to have fundamentals. I can win with this. And it wasn't until Akuma got really nerfed that Tokido's like, you know what? I'm gonna learn the fundamentals. I'm gonna learn the fundamentals. And he says this himself. He grew as a player as Akuma got nerfed in Street Fighter 4 because he didn't jump to the next cheapest thing. He really just uh, turned himself into a stronger player. And as a result, Tokido is the monster that we know today. Oh, that's that was his specialty. All, uh, all he wanted to do was land Raging Demons and Ground Pound. That's all J.R. Rodriguez really wanted to do. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've talked about it, uh, Kiyomosabe. I've already talked about it a lot. We had no information about anything. Uh, we didn't even know Justin could play Third Strike at this time. The fact that he made it into this top eight was amazing. I mean, to the 5v5 was amazing to all of us because we only knew him as an MVC player. We didn't even know he was good at Third Strike, you know? And uh, again, they were turtles, thanks to Eddie Lee. And then uh, we were all rushdowns here in SoCal, thanks to Vi. We had no idea what Japan was doing. Oh, SRK was a huge thing. But again, it didn't matter because the Japanese players weren't posting on SRK. They weren't doing anything on SRK. It was only US. We had no information. It's really hard to express how hard it was. And even around that time on SRK was when people were like, yo, Vi and Choi aren't even that good. I've seen the their footage because we were the only ones putting out footage. Yeah, Sorai Rengeki, let's go. Best super ever. The world was a lot bigger back then. It's much smaller now. So, why, Rengeki, look at the damage on that super, wow! So, right, Rengeki, so strong!
Gunther was asked to translate things for people who didn't care. Yeah, so no, sharing tech, we all thought we were just better than everybody else. Nobody shared anything. There was nothing to share back then. And again, this was the period of time where everyone would see footage that we recorded from Southern Hills Golfland, and people would be like, no, man, Justin and Vi aren't even good. I beat my friends better than these guys are playing right now. I could beat them, and I'd be like, then come and beat them. Like, prove yourself. And they'd be like, well, what if I actually did beat them? And I was like, if you beat them, then congratulations. You're awesome. You're not going to beat them. And he, and he well, I'm better than they are. Yeah, Save That Stuff for Nationals was super huge still at this time. So, so again, there was tech, but no one shared and we didn't really discuss it all that much. The SRK forums really was one of the first times that we started sharing tech a little bit, but there was so much regional pride that a lot of people wouldn't tell each other anything because we wanted to win. At this point in time, Evo was still on, the, on, on that save that shit for nationals train. We were still in that situation. See? People are still surprised that that shoulder tackle missed. Like, they haven't realized that it's for positioning. Like, people, like, we had no idea what was happening. Well, SF4 era is also when streaming started, and also, you know, yeah, that was kind of the start, and more people got into it, so... Oh, you were the one who got him it to be S-H-O instead of S-H-O-U, Gunter? Yeah, and again, you know, starting off the stream, I had talked about it. Nobody played this game. Nobody liked this game. Like, Third Strike was actually pretty largely detested by a large group of people in America at this point. Oh, you died. Uh, no, not even during uh, SBO. Not even SBO people did not uh, did not share strategies because at that time Justin and Ricky from East Coast were the enemies of final uh, uh, of Family Fun, which was Pyro Lee and either Yi or uh, or uh, Victor Lee, etc. etc. Like there was a huge rivalry. Those those groups hated each other. There was no love between those players. We were not sharing tactics at all between them because we hated each other. <laughs> we were not friends with each other at all. And so no, even in 2004, 2005, we weren't sharing anything. Uh, dude, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on here, King Nobody. So hopefully you can catch this on YouTube to watch everything else that's happened before this. Yeah, and as a West Coast player, I was super anti-Justin and Ricky. I was like, let's go, Pyro Lee! You know, I was part of that whole entire thing, too, so... 
Yeah. Oh, that was one of those strategies. Like, we didn't have the strategy. This is a very popular strategy in Japan, which is the jump and parry. Because if they wake up DP, you parry it out of the air and get to murder them. And if you miss your parry timing, you get hit out of the air by a DP and take almost no damage. So this was how you countered wake up DPs in third strike. We had no idea about this tech. And so basically... They can't cancel it into a super, so you can't do DP into super. And if you do get hit, if you get hit on the ground, DP into super, you could eat a lot of damage. But in the air, you don't, and you still get full punish here. This was a very popular third strike tactic that we didn't really know about either. And so again, Chiku beat us all 5-0. Tokido's 4-0 right now. The only person we beat is KSK's Alex. And again, that probably makes KSK feel kind of feels bad, man. But again, at least we knew how to fight Alex. We didn't know how to fight uh, 12. And we had no idea about any of this uh, unblockable tech with uh, Urien. Yeah, I don't even know if RX was big at this time yet. Again, I don't know the timeline of Japan. I really don't know the timeline of Japan at this point in time. And again, Vi, like I said, was one of our best players. And you could see how close he was. He was really close against Chikyu. He was really close against Tokido. Alex Vi was, I mean, like I said, before Justin was Vi. Vi was the best at everything. Like I. For those of you who don't realize how good he was back then, you know, he's still amazing right now. Obviously, he's not one of the best because he's more into TOing and stuff. But again, Vi was just another level in terms of fighting game play. And you can see the, a lot of the stuff that he's doing here, trying to be hard to read and stuff. Vi was excellent back back then. Like, Again, I'm biased a little bit because I fought, fought against him all the time and I couldn't beat him a lot. So, of course, I'm going to be like, yeah, of course Vi is good. That's why I can't beat him. But no, I mean, truly, truly Vi was another level. And had we known we could keep playing fighting games until this day, Vi would still be one of the best players right now. And yeah, I've always said it was uh, Tomo. I put Mike Watson in between. So maybe Tomo, Watson, then Vi, and then uh, Justin Wong. Uh, limited time says man this is when I stopped gaming for a while so interesting to learn about it yeah there's so much history that's happening around this time and we we didn't know about that crazy combo and I don't even think he got it as a combo oh my god what are you supposed to do oh, okay but I still have a chance here nice god by with even the Ume Shoryu's himself but again, the light headbutt and the throw wins. Yeah, Strider Zero. I mean, back then, uh, they didn't know. We didn't know about the unblockable. Everyone watching had no idea what the unblockable was. We had no idea. Nobody knew what the unblockable was at all. We didn't even know it was an unblockable. You can hear it from the audience. Hey, Spotify and SoundCloud viewers, I want you to try to guess what's happening between Onuki's chun and Justin Wong's chun right now from audio alone. 
Oh, I wonder if they can guess at home. Yeah, just just in case. Just building lots of meter with back heavy punches until they got to level one meter here. Yeah, but Nuki had that single hit confirm on point at this point. Was this before the strat of hiding under the table? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I, I couldn't tell you about that one. Oh, man. Oh, if you just look up uh, Third Strike US versus Japan 5-on-5, five five, you'll find the link. You'll find the link. There's like seven copies of it on YouTube at this point because it's all just ripped from the Evo DVDs at this point, so... Yeah, no, you gotta listen to it. Yeah! Although I I do unironically love this Chun-Li theme song. But like I said, and, and of course, always, always, Nuki is gonna be playing Gray, uh, Gray Chun. It's hard to tell that it's the Gray Chun on this, but he always plays Gray Chun no matter which version of the game he plays. Yeah, even Justin trying to do that. Oh, what? I think Nuki thought that was gonna kill. And it did it. So now Nuki's got to find one last hit. Oh, the delay. <laughs> I mean, we can go over that footage at some point in time. The, the, the Duck versus Sanford money match, too. Because, again, I had a huge part in, in, the, in the preservation of that match as well. So, and I've talked about it on stream before as well. If it wasn't for me, we wouldn't have the, a lot of that footage of that. Like the, the, the cool crowd shots and stuff like that. Like as a fighting game historian, like it's not, I can actually say that a lot of the reason why the history of fighting games is present and preserved is because of me, honestly. Well, the internet doesn't forget things that happened on the internet. None of this happened on the internet. <laughs> we didn't have an internet at the time. We, we were selling DVDs to try to help make the money back from how much Tom and Tony lost at all these tournaments. Tom and Tony lost thousands upon thousands of dollars every time they ran one of these tournaments. Selling the DVDs was their way of trying to at least come close to break the breaking even. <laughs> and so that oh nice block. I guess we've seen that one. We knew how good Chun Li was. Oh, you died. But again, I mean the fact that we were able to put these kind of things on is nothing short of amazing. And I gotta tell you, a lot of what esports is today is really thanks to this. I've told the 2005 stories before that when we ran EVO alongside MLG, uh, Tom and Tony offered to MLG, they're like, hey, if you want, we can broadcast your Halo and your Smash Brothers Melee finals on the big screen so everybody can watch like all of our fighting game stuff. And MLG was like, Nobody comes to these events to watch video games. <laughs> if the 
If you don't know right now, if you can't guess if you're listening to this, my eyes are wide open and rolling into the back of my head right now. Um, they didn't believe. And then when we ran Marvel and everyone started going nuts because of uh, people going crazy watching Marvel versus Capcom 2, all the MLG employees stopped doing their duties and were watching the tournament instead of actually running the tournament and we were then told to shut up so that we didn't distract their halo players and told us to be quiet so literally tom and tony had to go on the stage and be like hey can we be quiet while we watch the mvc2 tournament because we're distracting the halo players like this actually happened and so if you don't think fighting games are the reason why esports are where esports is today you have another thing coming okay it was all fighting games trust me trust me we birthed esports as it is anybody who tries to tell you esports came from something else are completely full of shit and yes obviously i have bias but we have the receipts okay we have the receipts <laughs> we have the receipts oh man no they went to a league of legends tournament gundam judy kai and they were told to be quiet because they were cheering cheering too loud and then and then in some highlight package footage of the tournament they kept showing one of the scenes where the fighting game players popped off they showed it from two different angles to try to make it look like two different pop-off moments because the FTC were the only people popping off and it made for good footage yeah I mean nowadays pairing the last hit of Chun-Li Super is like obvious in what you did but uh yeah, exactly. George, like I said, was super good with Chun-Li back in the day. And obviously he's very good, as you can see, taking a game off of Nuki like this. He's obviously very, very strong. So uh, George was a very good player. And like I said, I didn't know who he was at the time either. Oh, did it happen at Pokken as well? Okay. <laughs> Dude, it was the most brutal thing that we had to be quiet. And I think a lot of people, and look at that. This was our third round. This is our third victory. George P taking it. Geo taking it. And yeah, you hear people start chanting and stuff like that because he actually won the Chun-Li mirror match there. And that was the crazy thing is we would make, I mean, East Coast was part of that NBC2 thing. And like, we would all have to go like, yeah. And we would like golf clap and stuff like that. It was actually kind of hilarious at the time. But you know, I can, t I can have these stories now that MLG basically is no more. So <laughs> I, I can talk about how, how silly it was back then. Oh man. Yeah, and again, this is how Vi played. His aggression beat everybody. He beat everybody in SoCal with his style. And so it didn't matter if you were aggressive or not. 
but we did not know exactly what Chun-Li was like at this time. And so Vi is having trouble against Nuki in this situation because he is playing too aggressive. Yeah, Vi, I mean, he is Mr. RTSD. That's what he was known for. He was known for his rushdown style. And it just, it wasn't effective in this situation. So again, the question in the chat from Imiso was Vi even with Nuki in ST? Vi was not playing ST at this time. Vi was not known as an ST player. He was, when he first showed up in the seed, he was not an ST player. He went back and became a strong ST player. Vi really made his name in the Alpha games. And so people didn't actually know Vi. So he is not actually one of the STOGs. He's actually kind of a later generation. He actually had to learn Super Turbo. So at this time, Vi wasn't even considered one of the best. He wasn't even in the top eight for ST uh, in this tournament at all. So even Gunter here, David Dial, can confirm Vi learned ST much later. So Vi wasn't even an ST player. So Mester, Mester shows up. We had no idea about Ganajin. No idea about Ganajin. Mike Watson was playing Sorai Rengeki. We did not know what Ganajin could do. And this US gonna learn today. We did not know about the young, here we go. Activate. Got him. Other side. Uh. Listen to the audience. Like the audience, you can hear them audibly going, whoa, oh, whoa. Did you, like, did you literally hear the guy in the audience go, oh, shit. Like, Listen to this applause. Listen to this reaction. Nowadays, all of us are like, screw this character, we hate him. And when you watch Canadian combos, you're like, I hate Yun. We were like all going, woo. Messer actually just attacked too fast. Oh, you died. Alex played MVC2 at the start, says Gunter, but when he took a break, the community advanced so far of him, it was crazy. Yeah, Vi stopped playing. So Vi was the best at MVC2. Again, he was a Tekken 3 national champion. Tekken 3 national champion, beating a lot of the strongest Tekken players at the time. Yeah, he was a Blackheart player until Cable eliminated the existence of Blackheart. I would say the only series that Vi never got really good at, even though the game existed at Southern Hills Golfland at the time, was Guilty Gear. 
Vi never really became a very strong Guilty Gear player, but everything else, yeah, like Vi was just ridiculous at. No, he played Blackheart team. He, 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 he played Blackheart team. And like I said, Vi was even one of the best at Puzzle Fighter, dude. He was super good at, okay, Mortal Kombat. But here's the thing, Mortal Kombat was never taken seriously after MK2. Since then, like UMK3 gained a following eventually, but not very big. But nobody took MK seriously back in the day outside of MK1 and MK2, and then a sect of players playing UMBC3, a uh, UMK3 afterwards. But other than that, nobody really played. And so this is way past MK2 days already. This is way past MK2. There wasn't, nobody cared about the MK machines. They were making MK4 and War Gods at this time, so uh, the games weren't very competitive back then, and they they looked stupid and they were really busted and everything. And so yeah, and people didn't take those games very seriously. And then after MK3, MK4 and beyond were just complete unplayable messes. MK4 was probably one of the worst fighting games ever released into an arcade, and it was awful. Also. Here we go, combo Ganajin. Yeah, literally it took till MK9 before the game became actually competitive again. It literally took till MK9. And um nobody cared. Nobody cared. It, 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 just, it just wasn't good. What was my personal reaction? The same thing that so a lot of this, I'm just echoing everything that's happening to the people seeing. I was like, what? Like, we knew Ganajin was good in Street Fighter 3 Next Generation, New Generation, because you could do lunge punch, 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 lunge punch in the corner, and it was good. And so when we tried that in Third Strike and it didn't work, we're like, Ganajin still sucks like it did in Second Impact. So we had no idea, dude. We had no idea that this is what... We had no idea any of this stuff worked. And like I said, Mike Watson is going with Super Art 2 here. MK3 had maximum damage, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was Ultimate that put it in there. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen... I did not know about that infinite meter bug. Uh, someone did it and I was like, what the hell? Like, that was like literally like a year ago or something that, or whenever they discovered it. Rival Schools was never competitive. Again, people have to understand. So Seiji Kun is the one asking about Rival Schools being competitive. Again, after Hyper Fighting, like even with us going to Southern Hills Golfland and playing Third Strike and Alpha 3 and MBC 2, etc., etc., after Hyper Fighting, I would dare say nothing in the FGC in America was actually competitive until Street Fighter 4. Like, yeah, MVC 2 was very strong and there was a lot of people play it, but in the relative scheme of things, the amount of people playing these things basically didn't exist. Like, nothing was actually competitive. So yes, Third Strike, CVS 2, Alpha 3, Alpha 2, and there's a reason why we all it was all Capcom at that time and why there is that stigma of being only Capcom players because it was only Capcom games that had competitive scenes. Tekken didn't get really competitive until 3, I think it was. 
And so it was really just Capcom and nothing else. If it wasn't Capcom, there was not a competitive scene. There wasn't people playing like this. Maybe Soul Calibur 2 and Soul Calibur 1 because those games were so popular at home. Yeah, they were definitely played in other places, but in US, Guilty Gear was niche. I've told the story that uh, at EVO 2005, I believe it was, uh, it was Slash that came out in Japan. Guilty Gear Slash came out in EVO Japan and not in America. And so EVO was run on Accent Core, which was the previous version. And so a lot of people were like, we want to play Slash because it's the new one. And uh, the entire Guilty Gear community is like, we want to play Slash. And Wizard was like, all right, look, I tell you what. If you guys can procure me enough Japanese PlayStations, because we don't have any, to run the game and copies of the game, to run a tournament, we'll run Slash if that's what the community wants. Uh, oh, okay, so it was... It was one of those it was one of those transitions. I can't remember which transition what it was. And so the community was like, "All right. Oh, you're right. It was it was a reload before Accent Core. My bad. I had it backwards. I was talking about reload to slash at this point." But again, the community was like, "All right. We're doing it. We are going to bring enough consoles so that we can run the Guilty Gear tournament on Slash. And you know what they did? They succeeded. They got four Japanese PS4 consoles and four Japanese copies of the game. And that was enough to run the entire Guilty Gear tournament at that year of EVO. Was the four PS2s. I'm sorry, PS2s. The four PS2s was enough to run the entire Guilty Gear tournament that year. That's how many people entered that tournament at EVO. Again, we were getting a hundred and some players for MVC2 at this EVO here at 2002. We had like 120 and we were like, we broke a hundred. This is the most ridiculous thing ever. <laughs> Sorry, four PS2s, not four PS4s. God, the chat is definitely harping on me on that one. But that's the state of it. That's how it was in fighting games back days. Literally, if it wasn't Capcom, it really wasn't competitive. And even then, if it was like Star Gladiators and Rival Schools, no one cared. If it wasn't mainline Capcom, that was it. Like, and then Tekken. Mainline Capcom and Tekken were like the only games that really had uh, the major scenes. And it, it's not like that anymore, Flashy Flash. Honestly, it's not, but Street Fighter 6 might set us back a little bit more. I hope Street Fighter 6 doesn't overshadow everything else because it's nice that we have a good variety right now. I like the variety that we have. Yeah, KOF never got there and KOF players were mads forever until it finally got there with KOF 13. 
Oh yeah, the side tournaments were run in the BYOCs, man. The side tournaments were barely anything. Side tournaments were like the nine people who wanted to play the game a lot of the times at those old Evos. Yeah, and Tokido would kill everybody in there. DOA was ignored super badly. The very first year, the very first year DOA showed up on Xbox 360, it was the most bought game and most played game online. So we put DOA into Evo. Nobody play, showed up. At Evo West, at Evo West, and because this was the year that Toyota was sponsoring every game at $5,000 prize pool, uh, including DOA, players like Jason Cole signed up for DOA because they wanted to win some of that money. And they're like, I'm good at fighting games. Nobody showed up to DOA at Evo West. Jason Cole overslept his pools and got into the top eight. All of his opponents were DQ'd, and he got into the top eight. He showed up and was in top eight. Next up, Alex. <laughs> that's how many people showed up to play. And that's when we learned. We learned a lot from that, uh, honestly. That's what we learned a lot because we discovered that the reason why the FGC was good at coming together is because we were used to go traveling for events. The DOA players that were playing DOA on the Xbox 360 were so accustomed to playing at home and not leaving that the scene didn't grow. There's a reason why Melee exploded the way it did is because those players had no online. So they got used to traveling. And so that's why the melee scene is as big as it is. DOA taught us that a strong online scene does not guarantee a strong offline scene, which is why so many of us old heads tell people, go to your locals, do all these things, because if we don't encourage that, the scene doesn't grow. Uh, yes, in the U.S. So I would... <laughs> I was the best Zangief in Alpha 2 for a very for that brief window. Thank you, David Dial. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Yeah, Perfect Legend did one. Perfect Legend is a multi-time Evo champion in MK9 and in DOA. One of the only players to have won two games at an Evo, as I'm sure Perfect Legend will always remind you. There's a scene for DOA right now. It's just not particularly big. And that's just because DOA has that reputation, right? It has that reputation associated with being the TNA game, basically. Yeah, I, I remember teaching you all the Zangief stuff back then, David. I do remember that. It was you and Serlin. I was teaching all the Davids how to play Zangief in Alpha 2. DOA is difficult, yes. Uh, I don't know if that's the same Yasha. Uh, I know there could be a lot of Yashas out there, so I don't know if that's a EU DBFZ Yasha. But there it is, 21 to 3. 21 to 3, and that's how it ended up. And again, it, it was, it was, it's brutal, man. It was brutal. It was such a brutal... 
Uh, and that's how that went. And like I said, it's just an indication of where we were uh, a lot of the times in terms of where we were in Third Strike. Third Strike was not popular, but because of this event, because of that Tokido uh, unblockable stuff on, uh, on Justin, and then because, like I said, of the Daigo Perry moment uh, two years later, and Issei moving to New York and teaching the New Yorkers how to play Third Strike, and then, of course, that Japanese 5v5 footage uh, that, like I said, I'll find at some point in time for you guys. Uh, but it was those things that really resurged Third Strike. Again, Third Strike was not a loved game at the time. And like I said, history at the time will show that a lot of people didn't like the game. There was a lot of negativity towards the 3 series because of how different it was from uh, 2 and from Alpha. Like Alpha 2, a lot of people love because it was so similar to older Street Fighters. Uh, then there was the, the Alpha 3 fans because Alpha 3 was completely wacko. And if you like that, you like that. But Street Fighter 3 was not a popular series in... Uh, uh, in the so 2003 at Cal Poly Pomona is when we first switched over to um, consoles. I believe it was 2003 or 2004. I can't remember. I believe it was 2003, and so that was basically the end of cabinets. This might have been the last cabinet tournament of Evo history here. I think the next year might have been like a little interesting hybrid between the two, but uh, I can't remember at this point. So. I'll have to look through my photos. My photos will tell us. My photos will tell us. So, uh, But yeah, uh, Third Strike, like I said, after the Daigo Perry, it real, Third Strike really just kind of went whoop. And in fact, in one of the later years, uh, Evo uh, at, I want to say 2006 or 2007, had like the team tournament, which it was like two, two players on each team. And I think it had like one of the highest number of entrants we ever had at an event was that uh, two man, the two man team tournament for third strike. So the resurgence of that game just kind of went just like it just kept going up and up and up. Um, There was no reason for the cabs, Yasha. We never we didn't have Street Fighter four cabs because there just wasn't any reason for it. It existed at the arcades. Family Fun had it. Chinatown Fair had it and stuff like that. Uh, your last Evo was 2003, David? No way. There's... I hadn't seen you at Evo since then? (laughs) Jesus Christ. Okay. I mean, I love cabinets. Again, Yasha, I'm a big cabinet person, so that's... I agree with you, but, um... They had to, Flashy Flash. There was literally one Street Fighter Four cabinet in Chinatown Fair that had a three-game win streak limit, and after you won three games, you got kicked off the cabinet, and both players had to run to the back of the line, (laughs) and and it was a dollar to play because it was literally the only place to play Street Fighter IV on the East Coast. Meanwhile, on the West Coast, we had cabinets everywhere, and that's when the uh, kid who... Parents won the lottery and gave his kid a bunch of money. So he ran Sensation, the tournament on the East Coast, flew out Gutex, Mike Ross, and Combo Fiend 
to go fight the East Coast, and those three players murdered everybody in the East Coast, and that's what kind of put Gutex on that high, right? As being convinced he was one of the best Street Fighter Four players. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to downplay what Gutex did. I'm just saying at the time, there, there, that's where a lot of the Gutex ego came from, right? Right, Suburban Socrates puts the quote, you just don't know from Gutex in the chat. That's a whole nother story in and of itself, right? And so there was that thought process that we were infallible at that time. We were the best at Street Fighter 4, and that's why Bar Fights 2 was one of the biggest wake-up calls and one of the most important events that happened in FGC, West Coast FGC history. Because then L.I. Joe, Sanford Kelly, Justin Wong, uh, I can't remember who the other two were. I, I don't remember who they were, but like five of the East Coast players, might have been Yipes or something like that, they came out, no, it was, um, it was uh, shoot, it might have been Rico Suave, but any case, they came out here and destroyed us in the East Coast, West Coast, 5v5, 5-0. And then we sent, we, we were so butthurt about it, we convinced East Coast to run it back with not our old veterans, but our true new school blood in Street Fighter 4. Then we'll show you, and East Coast is like, why do we have to do this? We already beat you guys. Why do we want to give you guys a chance to try to get revenge on us? That's the stupidest thing in the world. Dominion was one of them. Yes, yeah. Um, uh, and so the East Coast made the stipulation. Fine, we get to play our secondary characters. We get to play our secondary characters, one of which was Sanford Kelly's Dan. And Dan was awful in Street Fighter Four, and we lost 5-0 to zero again. So after that embarrassment, Vi started going to Shiggle BMX's garage and trying to teach the, the, the West Coast how to play fighting games again. And so if it wasn't for that beatdown, Vi would not have gone to Shiggle BMX's garage. We wouldn't have started all the Wednesday night fight stuff. AJ Papa wouldn't have started streaming from there. We would not have gotten Wednesday night fights, etc., etc. All came because of that bar fights event right there. And in fact, Vi even like in his second session there invited Edma to show up and Edma came up and was like, you guys all suck. He's like, if Abel does step kick into, da into dash cancel, what are you supposed to do? What's the situation there? And everyone's like, oh, I don't know. And he started going into all the frame data. And he's like, in this situation, here's your options. And da da da, -da. Like Edma like railed into everybody and had his very famous you all suck speech. And uh, from that point forward, West Coast really leveled up. Honestly, uh, I don't have the Eddie Lee stories because I don't know about Eddie Lee. I need to find somebody else to get more Eddie Lee stories. Oh, no, I love Eddie Lee, dude. Like, I want to do more Eddie Lee stuff, dude. I definitely want to talk about Eddie Lee a lot more because uh, Eddie Lee is, again, one of the most important peoples in the FGC. His contributions to East Coast FGC is unprecedented, and we are at a point where we just don't talk about it enough, honestly. Uh, we really didn't talk about it enough, so... 
Uh, Jeff Schaefer, I mean, I knew him, but I was, I did, I, like, me and him were kind of rivals because I was kind of a the new guy and he really didn't like me very much. And I used to talk shit about him. And then I ended up beating him in the Alpha 2, first Golfland Alpha 2 tournament I showed up in. I ended up beating Jeff Schaefer and that started like a little bit of rivalry uh, between us and stuff. So it, it was. <laughs> Uh, but I can get a LA Akira on here to tell a lot of the stories as well. So John Choi was always NorCal, so I, I didn't know John Choi very well. Uh, East Coast doesn't have a lot of historians on my level. No, no, not on this level. No, I just was, I just was of such this mindset that as it was happening, I always had this belief that it could get to where we are today. I thought it would have taken another 20 years, but I thought like we could get to this point. And so my mindset had always been about preservation and thinking about all this stuff all the time. So uh, East Coast is amazing at a lot of different fighting games. Uh, uh, Desert, Desert. Um, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna front and especially right now. Like right now, nobody can beat New York scene. New York scene is like is is hands down the best at Street Fighter Five. Like not even a question, uh, honestly. So Virginia crew knows a lot of the old stuff. Yeah, like I want to know more about like the New York scene and all that stuff. You know, I want I want to know more about that. So I mean, you can't say it's just Idom Shine NYC Furby and that's it. Like I mean, come on, like. <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh, any case uh that's kind of how third strike but yeah let's talk about the aftermath a little bit over here again you know after this happened uh i mean we've talked about it a lot already you know it really just became to the point where Third Strike really gained a lot of popularity and Third Strike is now where it is today. It really took a lot of Japan to show us what the game is actually about to figure out how the game is supposed to be played. And nowadays, like the Third Strike fandom here in Southern California is like on another level. Like, and again, Southern California became the strongest scene for Third Strike. Uh, with the Yi Wangs, uh, Yi Wangs, the Pyrolees, the Victolees, the uh, Ken Eyes, you know, this is where all those players started showing up uh, and really, really changing the landscape, and they became super strong. And yeah, for the longest time, East Coast West Coast rivalry existed forever. Pyrolee and the gang did not like Justin and gang from the East Coast. They hated each other. Like, they hated each other, and it just really didn't uh, go, like, we weren't sharing information back there, man. It just, it just wasn't that way. Um, U.S. became the best in Marvel because everybody played it, and not only that, but Marvel has a very different mindset that Japan wasn't good at. Like, the... And a lot of it also, like, if you talk to experts about it, a lot of it comes from meter spending. Like, Japan is very good at maximizing meter and making the most out of it. And uh, American MVC2 
you spent meter like candy. Like you just spent it and you didn't care. And a lot of it was chip damage. And it was just such a different mindset. And also a lot of Japanese players just didn't take it seriously. They just, it was Kusoge, right? It was a, it was a garbage game. It couldn't be taken seriously. And so nobody really took the time to get good at it. But in America, like, I'm not sure what, I mean, honestly, it's probably, you know, the presence of the Marvel characters, which obviously drew a lot of people into it. But then also, it's just the rivalries. Man, the rivalries in that game just really exploded that game. Honestly, it was it was crazy. So, yeah. So, Gunter saying, it still surprises me when I hear people say 3S is their favorite game because I remember when it was dead. It's like it's it's really hard to indicate to people how dead it really was uh, out there at that time, man. It was it's just like fighting games were not really that big at all. <laughs> so uh, it's kind of how it went. So, uh, but uh, yeah, that's that's kind of. Um, you know, a little bit of history, talking about the history, going through all that stuff over here. And, uh, you know, I know people like the history streams. Let me know if this was something that you really did enjoy. And uh, hopefully the people at home listening to this uh, enjoyed this as well. But again, you know, this is kind of a lot of where it went. And, you know, I, I wanted to talk about Evo 2002, largely also because of how much it changed with the Sunday Top 8 etc etc and just how much it really changed the face of tournaments like that whole ballroom concept ballroom tournament concept came from evo 2002 and uh, i mean a lot of it was me helping getting the ucla venue right from there we never looked back the next year we went we kept going with schools right the next year was cal poly pomona and then cal poly pomona again then we finally went to vegas and transitioned into the hotels but it all started with the evo 2002 so uh that's kind of where it came from honestly so oh jeez and yes nathan has shown up onto the stream hi boy yeah, and again, the stories that I'm telling here, Sage Kuhn, is just very U.S., obviously, and, and even still a very West Coast-centric as well, as I don't really know a lot. Uh, there was an Evo East a long time ago, but again, the Cannons were losing thousands of dollars every year running Evo. Thousands and thousands of dollars. So there was no reason to run East Coast ones because it was too expensive. The years that we got the um, the years that we got the Yara sponsorship, we did an Evo East and Evo West, and even had an Evo South at one point in time. But outside of that, there just wasn't any reason to do it. There just wasn't any reason to do it. So. Um, Evo East was held exactly in the same building ECT was held in just this past month. It's the exact same venue, literally the same venue uh, that it was run in. So, but East East Coast did have East Coast Throwdown, ECC, no, uh, East Coast Championships, ECC. They had ECC. Uh, but yeah, um, 
there's no reason to do an Evo East. There's just, there's no reason to dilute the tournament like that. Like, it makes sense to do an Evo Japan, but everybody from East Coast, a lot of people from East Coast fly out to Evo Vegas anyway. So uh, we're talking about Stamford, Connecticut. Stamford, Connecticut. So uh, there's just no reason to do it at this point in time. So uh, again, there's no Capcom backing. People don't understand that Evo isn't backed by these events. It's funded by like booth sales and stuff like that and, and, and the tickets and stuff like that. But Evo is really its own entity. Evo is its own entity. It's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. So, uh, it's not like Capcom is throwing all this money at Evo, NRS throwing all this money at Evo and stuff like that. It's not quite the same thing at this point in time. So, but yeah, Street Fighter. Hopefully, Street Fighter Six beta keys are will be coming back at some point in time. So, uh, we'll start coming out at some point in time. Like I said, I I haven't checked because I haven't. I didn't apply. Because I can't play because I'm going to be traveling soon. So, uh, But yeah, that's, that's kind of what we have for today. Uh, let me know in the YouTube comments as well if you want more of these kind of streams, these storytelling streams and stuff. And I'll be more than happy to do a lot more storytelling and, 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 doing, and doing these kind of streams for you guys. Uh, again, it's, it's cool to talk about. And we really just need to make sure... Uh, that people remember this history, that we talk about it and stuff. So, um, uh, I haven't, I haven't picked up anything after Record Keeper. <laughs> oh man! Oh, she's banned. <laughs> she's banned. <laughs> uh, yeah, but so that's the whole entire thing, I guess. Uh, we will. Uh, like I said, let me know. Let me know uh, if you guys enjoyed this and then uh, let other people know about this so people can go and uh, listen and watch and, and, you know, watch the YouTube videos and stuff like that to give me, you know, a lot more uh, reason to do more streams like this. Sounds like people are getting their Street Fighter 6 codes happy for them. Uh, but again, this weekend I'll be at First Attack. So if you guys want to, uh, definitely tune in to First Attack this weekend. Going to be some tournament action from the beautiful island of Puerto Rico. It's uh, really, really great. And so uh, it'll be a lot of fun. And uh, I think that'll be awesome. So, uh, But in the meantime, uh, please stay safe out there. Hope you guys are all doing well. Hope you guys are all going to enjoy your Street Fighter 6 this weekend. And uh, I think I will just end it here. So, yeah, there you go. Thank you guys very much for watching. Take care. I will see you guys next time here on the Not Tuesday Show. And uh, peace out. See you in a week. <laughs>